Ready? I'm ready. Teddy. You're like, yes, I'm yes, ready. Yes, I'm ready. Let's go. God, what's wrong with you? You already asked me that five times. Okay. <laughs> five, four, three, two, one. Good morning, good day, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good people, wherever you are in the world. This is another episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jesse. Yes, absolutely. There's actually an episode in the can right now that I am editing, which is about my experience at the Download Festival. But I feel like this might be an emergency episode. I don't, I don't know. What would you call it? I would say so. Kind of like something that needs to be done before the download, I guess. Yeah, because yeah, the download, it sort of involves a particular band that we are going to be addressing today. But <laughs> I think that download, talking about that, I think maybe this episode today might put that episode into some sort of context. I have no idea. I think every episode, once it's archived, people are going to maybe check it out five ten years from now yeah and it might not make any level of sense what we're talking about now so the download episode could be the same exact thing i don't know <laughs> but <laughs> but it's probably gonna come up uh pretty much soon after this episode <laughs> hopefully soon and we have some episodes coming up pretty soon as well that uh i don't know you yeah, have some episode you're probably excited to do. Yeah, an episode <laughs> coming up with a good friend of mine, Joshua OK. Talking about his recent album, The Audio. So that's coming pretty soon. Wait, how Stay you spell tuned. how you spell audio? Ah, like A H H dash D I O. Audio. It's like Otto, the band Otto. It's like O T T T O, and then if you pronounce it a certain way, it'll say Otto. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's their intent or anything, but right. I actually saw them over the weekend. They were great. Nice. <laughs> so there are a few things before we get into our main subject and you will see the title. <laughs> but there are some things we want to talk about because a lot of things have happened since our last episode. And one of those things is Sinead O'Connor. So there has been some time that has passed since our last episode. And there have been so many things that have occurred. We're not even going to get to all of it because I'm sure you don't want to hear a five-hour episode. (laughs) But one thing that has been major news since our last episode is Sinead O'Connor's passing. And... I'll get into this a little bit more once we get further into the episode. But hearing that, I was already in a very strange place mentally. And then hearing that put me in an even further strange place in a funny way. I know we've had discussions about her on a past episode in relation to Prince. Yeah. But the funny thing is, the song that she 
was most well known for was a Prince song, but everyone continues out of respect for her to cover that song, which I think is absolutely weird. There's so many songs from the Troy album. You could do other uh, songs from I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, The Lion and the Cobra, all these albums. Am I Not Your Girl? All of these songs in these albums you could do, and yet people continue to do this one song. Do you think that's respectful? No. Not in light of the history of the song and how Prince felt about Sinead O'Connor. I don't think that's the song that, I mean... But, I mean, because it was her biggest hit, it's like when Prince passed, everyone did Purple Rain, you know? It's like... <laughs> It's not a good way to honor, especially with all of the music that she did. I mean, I think a better way would be to look through her catalog and find mm-hmm. what resonates with you the most. But because that was the hit, everyone's like, oh, let me do it, you know? And it still has an emotional connection with folks. Although I almost say on the record, I do not like Why? Because it's boring and it's cheesy. And I like cheesy stuff. I'm keen. I love cheese, right? So why do you like that? It's just not good for me. I never liked it. I remember when I first heard it, I'm like, this song sucks. <laughs> You know me. I have to, I have to but pry. Li- what is, what my, is the reason you think is boring? Lyrics, what about it? The lyric is it's syrup beyond a measure that I can justify. All the flowers died in my backyard when you went away, and I went to the doctor. Like just the lyrics, I just never liked it. I feel like the lyrics and the the song itself. I mean, it's something we hear all the time. Like nothing compares to you. Someone said nothing compares to you, and the fact that he did a song about this. I do like the family's version the best, even though, I, again, I don't care for the song itself. I just never liked it. It's just one of those songs that I get annoyed when I hear it. I just, I just, the beginning of it is, I it's just. Do you think it's because the song's ubiquitous at this point? I don't know. I don't know even know if it's that. When I first heard it, I just never liked it. I just, wow. I thought it was just, just, I'm like, this, I would never listen to this song randomly. I never enjoyed it. Her version doesn't help it. Prince's version doesn't help it. I mean, he's just done multiple versions of it, of course. He released a version with Rosie Gaines on his The Hits um, 2 album. Never liked it. Never been a fan of it. Wow. Never been a fan of it. Okay, right. So <laughs> I actually, like you said, I prefer the family version, the OG version. But there's something about the Sinead O'Connor version that I identify with more. And I think because she was channeling the relationship with her mother. And so if you look at the video, when she sings the last verse, she starts crying crying because she's thinking about the experience with her mother. And she's thinking about whatever childhood trauma she's experienced. And even... When you're listening to her rendition of it, you hear a particular type of desperation that you don't with the other versions. And the family version, I just prefer how bare bones it is to the print versions that subsequently came out. But shout out to St. Paul Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> and I was why was I gonna say Susanna Hoff? She's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wendy's twin. What's her I'm sorry. Wendy? Wendy's oh, twin. Lisa? No, that was in the family. Oh, Susanna. Susanna. Oh, yeah, Susanna. That's yeah. why I said Susanna right, Hoff, because yeah. her mm-hmm. name is... Right, Susanna, yeah. Su- Susanna Melvoin. So mm-hmm. that's... I was like, oh, wait, Susanna. Not Susanna Hoff. <laughs> except she was also related to Prince in some way with the Bengals, and they covered a Prince song and everything. So Manic Monday, yeah. which was going to... Was it Vanity or Apollonia? 
I'm out of respect. I'm going to say Denise, Denise Matthews, and not Vanity. But uh, I was going to yeah, right. Denise, Denise first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's all that connective tissue going on in the Prince world, the Prince universe. Was it? Um, the MCU, it's like, now it's the Prince Universe, so it's the PU. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all this sort of flesh and meat and everything and the connective tissues and the bones in this Prince Universe. And Sinead O'Connor, Sister Shahada, is in that universe and they didn't necessarily get along too well, but I think she brought an element and a connectivity, a human connectivity to that song that the family didn't even have. And again, mm -hmm. that's my favorite version of the song. But there was something to me that raised the level of that song when she did it, because... I do think the video has a lot to do with the effectiveness of that performance because mm. the tear does bring the emotional aspect to it that I, I, I can feel that, you know. I'm not going to... Because it's not like if the song is played, I'm just rolling my eyes. I'm just not going to go out my way to listen to it. But I've seen the video since her passing and yeah, it's mm. definitely emotional. I can see why folks connect with it. Absolutely. It's just not one of those songs. It's the it's boring to me. That's that's wow. the best description. It's a very boring song to me. That's so fascinating. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating. It's like someone writing a song saying, I love you. Like <laughs> But there's so many ways you can write that. And there I are know. some great Exactly. Songs. And I don't feel like nothing compares to you is really giving you that depth of meaning. Because the song's not about I love you. The song's about I can't live without you. It's sort of a codependent anthem. So it's like it's it's like people playing and I will always love you. Well, I would always love you. And you know how people always like add words or whatever. So song titles, I just did that. So <laughs> I will always love you. People play that at weddings. The song's about saying goodbye. Hmm. So it's like looking at nothing compares to you as a love song. The song is about, I literally cannot live without you. Nothing compares to you. It is not a love song. No, I'm not saying it's a love song. I'm just saying it's one of those, we, we have so many, I'm Everything trying to think of another. Everything I say, I will always love you. And every price I pay. I'm getting all the lyrics wrong. Shout out to this, so, man, look, The Cure was on tour and I wanted to go, and every show was sold out. I was so mad. Oh, yeah. I was so mad. Oh, anyway. See? My brain is just weird. Why did I just... <laughs> Speaking of love. <laughs> love is the culprit. Yeah. So love, talking about that connective tissue, but there's so many songs that do, as you say creates this boring scenario of love and then there are great ones yeah absolutely so are there some songs you can think of in terms of being codependent or obsessed with a particular relationship that you find are compelling because clearly I'm nothing compares to you is not compelling to you no it's not uh <laughs> i can't think of any now i'll have to get back with you on that because mm -hmm. i can't think of any right now but there are songs that to me reach further than that i'll come back trust me. all right yeah we'll have to because i know we're gonna do an episode at some point on songs that make us cry so yes. that might um, yeah 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 be there yeah, too yeah. <laughs> i'll definitely add into that playlist so. i need to i haven't yet yeah. 
Uh, you told me you had that. I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I better. I can't uh, wait to do that to one. It. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you really do have a list cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Sinead O'Connor for me, Sister Shahada, her trajectory is similar to mine in a way. We're just looking at art as a means of communicating the people's will. And I think that's clearly what she set out to do. She said that she did protest music and she was very open about how the industry does not promote that and how pop artists in general, they tend to stay away from that element. So there's people like Billy Bragg who... I think are probably as famous as her who stuck with that protest tradition in their music. And then you have a Rage Against Machine. On some level, you have a Pearl Jam. There are major artists, a system of a down perhaps, I would add them in that, who on some level kept with that protest tradition. But in general, popular artists stay away from that. They shy away from that. I'm not a fan of that. I think that if you're right wing, I want to know. Right. Yeah, you know, and even if you're conservative or whatever, that doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to your music. James Brown is very much a conservative Republican, <laughs> and he was also an abuser. Yeah. His music is dope, though. Yeah. I'm just contradictions right contradictions here. I'm being contradictory. Yeah. But yeah, his music was dope, but he was a right wing or conservative. You know, so you're right wing. What do you mean? I'm going to say conservative Republican, and he was an abuser. Fela uh, Kuti abused his wives. You know, there are people who do very horrible things. And I'm like, dang, their music's dope. There are definitely fine lines. I'm just like, I'm not going to listen to your music. So if you are a rapist, if you're a white supremacist, that kind of thing. Uh, abuse. We're all, we're all contradictory here because we all listen to artists who have been abusers. Yep. So none of us are perfect here. And is, that's just a really tricky conversation because I would probably have to get rid of half my record collection. Yeah, right. I'm being honest. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But there are definite fine lines I do not cross. And that's definitely racism or white supremacy. There's uh, rape, things like that. Mm -hmm. Child abuse, right. things like that, that uh, I do not listen to your music. I do not support you in any way if I know that you have actively done that. And then, you know, we if we want to talk about a society that's humanistic, there might have been someone who was an abuser and then they took steps to really have a redemptive arc in their actions have shown that, then that's another conversation. But in general, abusers tend to continue being abusive. Right. That's pretty well proven. So, you know, somebody might argue with that. <laughs> Wait a minute, but there's this person. Yeah, there are some artists. So I'm trying not to make a gross generalization here. There are a lot of artists like Marilyn Manson. There are mm. a lot of artists who have been massively abusive and still continue to go towards that trajectory of abuse and narcissism and everything so yeah i i do not cross that line because uh, oof, anyway <laughs> where were we <laughs> oh it's connor so i think that 
me being i think i was about to be 16 years old when yeah this was 1992 when she was on saturday night live and ripped up the picture of the pope Mm -hmm. i loved that so much when i saw it i saw it live when it happened and you could hear a feather drop in that studio i loved it and she was one of the first public figures to bring attention in that way to what was going on in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And she was pretty adamant about it, and she's been consistent about it. And she has gotten so much grief. It's like the, who is now called the Chicks now, when they were in the UK and they critiqued the Bush administration for being pro-imperialist war and all these country stations over here were like, oh, we're just not going to play your music anymore. So the same thing happened with Sinead O'Connor when two years before she ripped up a picture of the Pope, she had a policy that she was not going to say any national anthems. So, of course, she comes over here and everyone's like, oh, you must respect the U.S. flag and mm. national anthem. She's like, no, that has nothing to do with my music. So this also goes with the country where I'm from. I'm not doing any anthems. Of course, in the East Coast area, New York, New Jersey in particular, they did not play her music on various stations. And Sinead O'Connor has been the recipient of that. And of course, she was struggling with mental health and people made fun of her. People attacked her. And so I understand that. I empathize with that as someone who struggles with mental health myself and someone who has been shut down because of my very left-wing views. (laughs) So so I understand what it's like to have your voice minimized and shut down. So when I heard she passed, it was just something in me that was really triggered. I sort of followed her over the years. I wasn't like, oh, whoa, what's she doing every single day of her life? But when these particular events happened, I followed them. And when she had the exchange with Miley Cyrus, I do not know if Miley Cyrus ever apologized for that, but she also openly attacked Sinead O'Connor's experience with mental health struggles. And then we see what Miley Cyrus has experienced. I really hope that she has apologized. It doesn't have to be to the rest of us. You need to apologize to Janelle O'Connor. Not me. I haven't seen anything. When, of course, people are talking about it. That post where she uh, was attacking, I'm saying attack, uh, when she was attacking her was still up. Maybe she forgot about it. It was like 2013 or something. I don't know. But... People really need to understand that so many of us struggle on some level with our mental health and you may not see someone actively dealing with that. Some days there are bad days and some days there are good days. But to actively attack someone who's openly asking for help, crying for help, that does not help the situation. So... Please keep that in mind. If someone is struggling mentally, please be a source of support for them. If you do know them, there are times where there are people in my life, but I feel incredibly lonely and I just need people to reach out to me every day. 
and there are days where I'm just sitting here by myself and my brain's just going and going and going and then I'll have incessant intrusive thoughts like I have no one to talk to and then it leads to ideation and then it leads to worse so this is exactly what happened to me in the past couple of weeks two two and a half weeks where it just got so bad I had to end up calling the hotline and when Sister Shahada, Sinead O'Connor, when she was going through all that, I felt that I've experienced that. So please, when people aim to reach out, please take that seriously. Do not attack that in any way. You don't know what someone's experiencing. I just know that she's in a better place wherever she is. She's not suffering anymore. And her son, one of her sons, she's, I think she has four children, now three, but one of her sons, he also ended his life. So I'm sure that had to have hurt her tremendously. Yeah. I don't know if her passing had anything to do with that. I don't know, but I'm saying this to anyone. If anyone's experiencing that, please reach out. It got to the point where, once again, it's not the first time, I'm sure it won't be the last, that I had to call the hotline. Because sometimes they're the only people there at 3 in the morning, which is when I had to call. So uh, please take that opportunity wherever you live in the world. If there is a hotline for you, please call. And if it does get bad, even if it is 3 in the morning, wake somebody up because... You know, somebody's like, well, I'll call you tomorrow. And then there might not be a tomorrow. And that has been the case with me on several occasions. So please reach out to someone. Don't say, I've been thinking about you. And then two weeks later pass and you don't know. It's like, well, I was thinking about them. It's like, reach out. If you're thinking about someone, reach out. Reach out, follow up. Yeah, please. That's the key. The follow up is very much the key in this because what tends to happen with me is that people go well I'll reach out more and then they end up not doing that or they reach out once after I have an episode and then you don't really hear from them as much maintenance is key for any Any connective tissue with yeah yeah, uh, connective tissue is this the theme connective tissue any connective tissue in terms of mental health follow up is key Don't just say, I'm sorry that happened to you. I reach out to you more. Never hear back from you. Do you know how much that hurts? I'd rather not hear from you at all, to Mm -hmm. be honest. (laughs) I'm just saying. So if if you are honest about reaching out to someone, do it. Be consistent with it. And I don't think, as far as I know, and I'm not saying that, that you have to reach out every single hour, every single day. If you want to do that, that's great, but not everybody has the capacity to do that. And what happens is that I think there's an expectation when someone saying reach out is that, well, they're expecting me to do it every day. No, if no one said don't reach out to me every day, don't expect that. All people who are experiencing mental health and are asking for people to reach out to them is that maintenance part. So arrange a schedule with someone. Hey, I have the capacity right now to talk to you once a week at 3 p.m. Can we do that? Something like that. Because the person who's experiencing depression, a mass episode, and who's experienced ideation already think they're in people's way, many of us. So now 
it's like, oh, great. They think that, you know, I expect them to give so much of their time to me. So all those things are still happening. And so then people just don't engage because they think, man, you're expecting me to give more than I can. It's like, no, have that conversation. At what capacity can you reach out? That's all I need is just somebody to reach out. Because then if no one's reaching out, the same cycle is going to happen again. And the thing with the therapy, so people talk about the therapy. Well, you need to get a therapist. Yes, therapy is amazing. There, people should get therapy. It is helpful, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Your therapist is not your friend. Your therapist is not your friend. You're doing the job. And again, you have about one to two hours. I don't know. Maybe some people have a three-hour sessions. I have no idea. If you have that amount of money, great. <laughs> but the idea that you can only count on your therapist because I just don't really have time, that's really bad. That's really, really bad. So the point of a therapist is to wage a sort of uh, method in terms of dealing. So that's another form of maintenance, but it's just waging methods in order to maintain in this life. It's not being friends with your therapist. It's not saying, hey, I need a friend I can talk to. It's like, we have scheduled this time at this hour, but I can't call my therapist at any hour. I can call a friend if it's like, hey, you can call me whenever. It's a very different situation. So I would not advise anyone who says this to just say you need therapy because, ooh, that's, <laughs> I think the person who is experiencing it knows they need therapy. So I don't think that's very helpful to say. I know people mean well. So this is not saying you're a horrible person for saying that. I'm just saying from my experience and someone else's experience might be different. They might be like, thank you for telling me that that's what I needed. But for me, I have seen therapists over the years and I still had episodes even with a therapist. So I think a therapist is helpful again in maintaining how to deal with this life. And they will give you tips, they will give you tools, they will give you all these things. But they are not with you those other 23 hours of the day. So who else are you going to talk to? Who else are you going to reach out to? And that's the question. It's the rest of life. So please consider that when you bring up the therapy question. So again, I like bring up a ther therapist is not a bad thing. But to say, well, you just need a therapist is not the best thing. And this is just coming from Jamila. I'm just saying someone else might tell you something totally different. This is Jamila's perspective. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I stand with you on that because I think we need community and therapists mm -hmm. are not able to really be the community itself. I mean, we need community in our own lives. So we shouldn't look to one person to 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 fill in that gap, you know, when we could have a community of people to check in. If we had everybody coming in at whatever level of their capacity, I think that would mean more than to um, expect one person to do all of the load. So I, I stand with you on that for sure. I stand with you. <laughs> Don't let nobody hurt you. Who's that? <laughs> uh, isn't that uh, what's a Cheryl Crow? Oh, wow. I think that is. <laughs> I'll, but she Crow. goes, I stand, I'll stand by you. Road.
I don't know that song. You don't know Every Day is a Winding Road? The Beatles? Or no, Elton John? Sheryl Crow. Is that a cover, though? No, it's hers. Prince covered it. She did it. It's not a cover. It's her original. Because Every Day is a Winding Road. Oh, oh, the long and winding road is the... Never mind. I'm mm. thinking the long way. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Jamila is wrong again for, you know, the majority of the time. I, so this is a thing. Don't roll your eyes. Yeah, so this true. is That's the thing. I am wrong 90% of the time. There are 10... Ten, ten, there's that ten percent, but that ninety percent, I'm mostly wrong. So everything, everything I say is BS. Okay, just remember yeah. that. <laughs> ignore that. No, don't ignore that. Everything I say that's not true. Except though. for ten percent. That's not true. Is incorrect. Okay. <laughs> not true. Cause I'm a liar. I had me wrong. It's my brain. The, my brain. <laughs> How do I do a podcast with you? My brain is everywhere. Okay. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. <laughs> so, wow. Oh my goodness. I want to say many condolences to the family, friends, loved ones, appreciators, fans of Sister Shahada, uh, her family in the Muslim community the family where she shared spiritual practices all over the place. I think she was truly seeking a spiritual connection. And I think that was part of her journey. And she's made so many connections along the way. And I don't think anyone can say that she did not make an impact. Anybody who says that, it's like, just pay attention to her history. She's definitely made an impact to folks. There were people, this was funny, actually, before she passed, this was a few weeks before she passed, I saw folks do covers of her song, Black Boys on Mopeds. And it's like, finally, somebody's appreciative of her music outside of this one song, which is a cover. But again, she comes from the legacy of protest music. And people are saying now, in light of her passing, people are like, well, she was saying Black Lives Matter before it got popular and all this kind of stuff. And I think even that reduces her art because she wasn't sloganeering. She was like, this is a very sincere account of my expression of anger towards state repression of African people, state-sanctioned murders, all of these things. She's been pretty consistent with that. So to just reduce it to like, well, she says BLM. Everything's just a slogan now and this whole like post, 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 post postmodernism thing. I I can't say that upsets me, but I think that artists of her caliber need a little more or a lot more respect than they have gotten. And let's talk about Stephen Patrick Morrissey for a minute. I'm not sure if you've, you, so you don't even know who, no. could, maybe that's a good thing you don't know who that guy is. You've heard of the Smiths, right? Oh, you're speaking of Morrissey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But his name's Stephen Patrick okay, Morrissey. right. Right. Yeah, I've learned about him through this recent. That's what I was going to ask. Right, yeah. So this guy, this right-wing, xenophobic, white supremacist, racist guy, right? who was pro-Brexit, who said that uh, Chinese people are a subspecies, you know, all this kind of, that guy. So he 
post a little dedication tribute, if you will, to Sister Shahada. But it was so rooted in his own ego. It was like, I know what it feels like, just like her, you know, to have experienced this thing. And, you know, everyone hates you until they love you when you've gone on and all of this. It's just like, no, I'm still going to hate you more. <laughs> I just, and I don't use the word hate a lot, but he is symbolic of everything that is wrong with music. And I love the freaking Smiths. I love the Smiths, man. And I'm just like, dang, why does he have to be like that? Why? Why does he have to be like that? So if there's a way you could get Smith's music without Morrissey's vocals, it's not the same. I know. I'd, as you much, can. AI has made that yeah, possible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the Smiths, this, the, the rest of the Smiths, Andy Rourke, Mike Joyce, like, it, it wouldn't be the same without Morrissey. Let's keep that real. So it's... You know, uh, Johnny Marr, it, it just wouldn't be the same if you didn't have those four. But there's something for years. I used to listen to this. I all that of vinyl. There was still something about Morrissey that just irked me, and I couldn't figure it out. And now in light of everything that's happened in the past, like, 10, 15 years, I'm like, oh, yeah. So my spidey sense, or whatever you want to call it, my intuition just was tingling. Cause there was something about him I really didn't like, and I had no idea. And then you would, you know, see, you know, you would see interviews with him, but it was just like, eh. But yeah, uh, oof. And then you know the solo stuff where it's just Morrissey, and he had the, you know, the songs like National Front Disco and all this, and uh, you know, I'm like, what happened to Hang the DJ or? You know, whatever. <laughs> this charming man. I don't know. <laughs> but Meet is Murder, right? The, so there's the album Meet is Murder. That song, and I've been vegan for almost, it'll be 30 years this year. That song made me want to eat meat. It's so insufferable. <laughs> it's so freaking insufferable. You said that so amazing. You know, I was thinking about randomly. This is off topic, but. I was thinking about how when you were in the hospital after the accident and how you saw those KFC commercials. Right. So, so yeah, there was the KFC commercial. I thought commercial. about that today. You thought about that? I don't know what made me think of that. I was just laughing because you was like, that chicken look good. It did. Yo, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. So, I'm sitting in the hospital and I'm, I don't watch, I haven't watched TV since 1994 or something, right? I was two. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> So I was was like 18. I don't know. I haven't watched TV regularly. Yeah, if it's on at somebody's house, where, but like regularly. But I was in a hospital. The people next to me just had the TV on 24-7. I'm like, oh, man. That's most folks, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, so I had to block it out. I, there was a, I had to figure out how to block that out because this is just too much. It's so overstimulating. Uh-huh. And the funny thing is there was one of those CSI shows or whatever. I don't know. Those like propaganda shows. Yeah. And they actually use the the words uh I don't know, they were talking about capitalism. And I was like, wait, so they're just trying to get in with everybody because they're like, oh, everybody's talking about this. And it's like, oh, okay, we're we're gonna get in where we fit in. So to get in order to get them back on our side, it was kind of that thing. In the midst of all that was a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. 
I know y'all kids call it KFC now. I don't remember when it started being called, but it was called Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was coming up, so that's what I'm gonna say. So there was this Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial that had a chicken sandwich, and I know in the course of the past few years there was the Popeyes chicken sandwich, yeah. and everybody's fighting over that because they ran yeah. out of chicken. And so they had this KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken sandwich and when i tell you i looked at the screen that looks so good that made me question my veganism i i mean i wasn't I gonna not be when you vegan. told me that i was dying <laughs> i was not gonna stop being vegan right well, i mean the hospital was horrible because they didn't have they had no vegan food it was just like we'll give you they gave me like this bland broccoli and brown rice. I'm like, no okay. Right, yeah. And I love broccoli and brown rice, but you got to do something with right. that. Like, don't just... <laughs> do and you know what they gave me in addition? Ice cream. Like, didn't I say I was oh, vegan? come on. I'm vegan. Right. Why you give okay. me ice cream? So, hospitals have not yet figured out how to... Accommodate the folks who... Accommodate folks clearly. who do not eat meat. Because when you see the menu for all the meats, I'm like, that look good. Like, they had, like, four-course meals. I'm like, dang. And me, they give me just brown rice and broccoli, all bland. Gross. Like, wow. No seasoning. But that no. chicken sandwich. <laughs> when I got to the hospital, I went to the store and got a vegan chicken sandwich. Because I was like, I can't with y'all. And I guarantee you, you go to KFC and buy that. It don't look it like that. Go, it's not going to look nothing like you see it. So. But that look good. Right. I seriously question. <laughs> Seriously question being vegan. It looks so good. And maybe that's because I was in the hospital. It was kind of like the Oasis thing. Right. So I, uh, <laughs> I was like, yo. So, yeah, uh, I'm glad that, you know, in the midst of all my pain, I was able to make you laugh. I was also high on morphine right, and yeah, every exactly. other drug, too, because right. <laughs> I was in pain. So... Yeah, be in the hospital too. So when they uh, change your dressing, because my life, you you yeah, yeah. have been one of the only three people not in the hospital to have seen my legs mm. when they were in the what condition they were in. Yeah. Can I just want to hear you describe it before I go but on? It's like, a scene. I don't know. It's like it was like wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> to know that that was attached to your body, it looked very just like mumble jumbled. Yeah, and painful. Said, it looked painful for it, you to change yeah. those dressing because it was like wet still, like with. Right. Yeah, it was still like wounds still, yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah. The fact that you were still like out and about traveling. Man, look, I went to the 40th anniversary of Metallica. I don't right. care if I have wounds. I'm gonna change them. I'm, I'm gonna be sanitary. But yeah. you know, you saw yeah, you was, saw. It was, I was quite, like, it was quite the thing to look at. It. Like, I wow. warned you. I was like, look, I have to change my dressing. Like, you could turn away if you want. And you're wet, like, no, wet, it's wet. okay. Yeah. And you saw it. You were like, oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. And when my legs finally healed, I was so happy because I, I did not think it was ever going to happen. Right. I was so happy because there was a point where my legs totally healed. And then I put the prosthetic on, my leg opened right back up. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was already scared of the prosthetic. I had a lot of trauma built around it. And then when that happened, I was like, nope. So it was like another month and a half or something before I put it on again. Because I had to put it on. Right. I was like, mm. <laughs> So <laughs> now, you know, we get along great. But yeah. it's. That was rough at the first. Yeah. Where, where, where even were we? I don't even. Oh, the chicken. Okay. Oh, yeah. Morrissey, right? So 
he goes on and he's like, oh, you know, Sinead O'Connor, she was just misunderstood. Whatever. Uh, You can go on Morrissey's website if it's still up and read it. But he's just so insufferable. Me and me is murder is insufferable. He's like, it's death for no reason, and death for no reason is murder. The fish you so fancifully fry. All this, it's just like, why so pedantic? This is this is why people don't like vegans. And I'm not saying that somebody has to be a vegan pick me and be like, well, I'm not like the other. Ve-. Like, don't do that. That's anno- That's just as annoying. Someone who's like a vegan pick me. Mm-hmm. But just be a person. Like, it's great if the world were vegan, but that's not the reality. So you stopping a whole concert because you see you see a, a cookout happening. Yeah. It's, what is wrong with you? People will go to your concerts eat meat. Right. Like, come on, man. <laughs> what is wrong with people like that? He is so insufferable. And that song literally encapsulates what Morrissey is like. Saying Chinese people are a subspecies based Gross. on the treatments of animals. Gross. So therefore people in the U.S. are a subspecies as well? No, because he's freaking racist and white supremacist. So of course he's not going to say that. What is wrong with people like that? I can't. Oh, I could go on there. Right. I cannot stand that guy. I don't use the word hate a lot. The, I have... But he's reserved. I have such vitriol (laughs) for that man. Really. Like, again, I'm in a video for 30 years. Don't do that. Don't be like Morrissey. If you are a vegan, please don't be like Morrissey. Just just don't. That's that's my public service announcement. Don't be like Morrissey. Don't do that. Please. Like, if you're going to respect Sinead O'Connor, don't be like Morrissey. (laughs) That's all I gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) So, speaking of racists, I want to ask, did you see Ice Cube uh, having an interview or whatever with Tucker Tucker Carlson? So, what are your thoughts about that? Ice Cube is a... God, what can one say about him? I mean, he's been on this trajectory for a while now. I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, it's just... It's kind of what he did the last election cycle. It's similar. Like, he talked to Tucker Carlson. This isn't the first time he's talked to him, so I wasn't surprised by it. I just thought it was gross. <laughs> <laughs> but what was what, what were things about it? Like him, because I remember Tucker asked him, like, do you feel like it's worse now than it was before or something like that? Like, racism. Like, how do you, like, do you feel like white people are worse than they are, worse now than they were in the past? And he was like, oh, it's the same, you know? I just feel like black people are more... His answer was just very, like, he dodged the question, and he was more so, like, speaking to Tucker's point, which is that that's not the focus. We shouldn't focus on the racism because, you know, racism isn't really the problem. This is a man who made the death certificate album. I know. This is a man who was in NWA. I know. This is a man who had 5% nation connections. But this is also a man that has blood on his hands. He uses that. If you go to his website, the first picture that shows up is just a picture of his hand with blood. And usually that phrase, when people say you got blood on your hands, it means you're guilty of something. Like, you mm-hmm. got blood on your hands. Mm-hmm. So he's been pretty vocal, I feel, about his... He said, I'm guilty of being white. <laughs> guilty of being white. 
guilty. I'm being right. That's what he's saying, right? Yeah, pretty That's, much. He should cover that song. Please don't cover it. Please don't. don't give I that love Minor Threat, you know, but that song, enough, don't do that song. Ice Cube at an airport once. You never told me that. I know. I just remember. I remember meeting him once. I saw, he was right behind me, and his security guard was there, and I was like, O'Shea, what's up, O'Shea? I was so, yeah, he was like, he had his glasses on, and he, you know, I was like, I, I didn't talk to him. I just was like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even make it. What's up, O'Shea? What's up? Should have called him O'Shea. He'd be like, how do you know my name? It's like, oh, how do we not know your name? She <laughs> yeah, was. Give me that beat, fool. It's a full-time jack move. This is dude who did jacking for beats. This is, I, I like how. This, this is, talking about, we have several words today, encapsulation. So this encapsulates the theory that when people get older, they just get more centrist or conservative. And this is a, a perfect example of that. And I'm I remember like, my high school teacher, my history teacher told me exactly that quote, which mm. is interesting you say that. Like, the older you get, you get either more centralist or to the right. And I didn't really get what he meant by that. But I Did you say it. essentialist? Centralist. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the theory. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty common theory that... Yeah, you get more either centrist or too, right. or more conservative. I think most people yeah. would say conservative. Right wing is just kind of like all the way over here. But I feel like the older I've gotten, I'm like more to the right. left. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> but I think that's where, well, I can't say that because a lot of people, when they were in high school or college, especially college, are like, I tried socialism. I tried yeah. anarchism. Oh, I tried all yeah. of these things. And then I got a job. And then, you know, I made a career. And, you know, that's a, a, sort of this idea that being a socialist or being left wing doesn't make you money or you can't get a career. And that's what they teach you. So I think once Ice Cube left the whole world of NWA and Public Enemy and all that kind of, all those associations. He started doing Are We There Yet? Yeah, was, yeah, right, right. And then he did, what's that movie? Glass Shield. And then he did that TV show Black and White. So that's where you really started to see it, which is, that's I another that. kind of insufferable show. So it's a show, I think it was on the FX channel, where they had people switch races. So they put makeup on them. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, and Ice Cube produced that and did the theme song or whatever. Oh, yeah, no. that show was terrible. <laughs> So this is what you saw yeah, Ice Cube lean towards this trajectory for a number of years now. But now it's just like people are showing themselves. Right, this like, is the age of mass information. So yeah. you can't escape. Gee, Everybody's gosh. showing themselves now. Oh. Everybody's showing their ass right now. So <laughs> and that's what's happening. Ice so, Cube came from a far away. Did you know he produced the uh, music video for Love Sign from Prince? Have you seen that music video? Pop, pop, you see cop. me looking at you, right? <laughs> pop, 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 go the pistol, you bang, see me bang, looking bang, at you, right? He produced that with Nana Gay and Fritz, yeah. yeah. Did you call her Nana Gay? Nana Gay. <laughs> I'm from the South. I got the diamond in my mouth. I'm I from love the that. South. I, lo I, lo I love how there's people, we talked about this, there's people who just do not pronounce anyone's That's name me. right. <laughs> I it's just a thing. I don't, I would I'm love from to. from the it, South. I got look, the diamond. I would in love my to mouth. do an interview with people who just don't pronounce anybody. Because I'm talking feel to like, me. I'm going to do an interview with you. Because it's just a thing. Like, there's people who just never get names right. It's all right, Jambalaya. Oh, yeah. oh, we're going to turn this off. We're going to deal with that. <laughs> we deal with that. 
<laughs> yeah, what, what, what's, I've been called Jamalia, Jamalia, Jamilia, Jamala. I can't. Oh. I'm like, what are you? Right, yeah. What are you? What? Jambalaya. How do, you, how do you get the umba? It's Jamalia. How do you get the extra I? <laughs> How do you get the extra syllables? It's the English language. I don't know. No, the English language is hard. The English language right. is terrible. <laughs> but I just, I love, I think it's kind of charming. And I know it's kind of uh, annoying. Like, why are you getting my name wrong? Why do you get people's name wrong? But I am pretty conscientious about getting people's name right because people get my name wrong all the time. So I am very conscientious about like, I got to get it right. And if I get it wrong, I will apologize. Oh, absolutely. If I'm talking to someone, I get it wrong. I would say, oh, excuse me. So you said if you met Nona Gay, you'd be like, hey, Nana, what's up? She's like, who? I'm sorry. Who are you talking to? Excuse me. You talking to my Nana? What are you talking about? (laughs) 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 But I, I feel like there's, it's such a special quality in people. I feel like it should be more explored because people be reading names and then they hear it pronounced correctly and still get it wrong. Yeah. It's amazing to me. I really do think it's a special quality in people. And it's a section of the brain that just doesn't seem to get it right. And I'm entirely fascinated by that because you always get names wrong. You <laughs> always get names wrong. And I just, I, think I would I love to explore to that more. I really would. What's that? The southern uh, flavor. Southern? Southern flavor. It's the southern. Like I say New Orleans, y'all say New Orleans. No, people say New Orleans. Not a lot of people. Most people say New Orleans. I haven't very rarely heard someone. Or New Orleans. Or New Orleans. I say New Orleans. Yeah. It's a bit more more, more polite. (laughs) New Orleans. But you say New Orleans? New Orleans. I thought that uh, people from New Orleans, I thought that people got mad when you said that, but no. Not really, yeah. I mean, I, some folks do. I mean, but I get... I feel like if I know what you're trying to say, I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm not going to go out my way. Unless it's a name, but if it's like a phrase or something, it's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so didn't Ice Cube also come out with an anti-vax stance or something? Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Ice Cube has been... Mm, that cube has turned into water, so... <laughs> <laughs> like my glass right, right now. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> like melting away. <laughs> He's been in humidity since like oh. after. Oh, dang. <laughs> and so there's a couple of things I want to talk about before we get to the actual subject. Because your, your girl, Jill Scott. Because we haven't talked about oh, this. Oh, the fourth, uh, you're talking about the. What, 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 huh? are you, what are you referring to? The oh, say can you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, Jesse, we talking about this. So, I had the lyrics right here. Okay. I love because when she said oh, say can you see, I was like, I know, not you too. I know, I know, I know. But she, not you she too, Jill Scott, right? So that's the thing I respect about uh, uh, respect about Michael Jackson. I don't think he ever did oh, say can you see. I don't think so. He did it when he was a kid as part of Jackson 5, but I think as an adult, he never touched it. I'm like, I got mad respect for Michael Jackson based on that one thing. (laughs) Did Prince ever do a second? No. Yeah, I respect Prince. No, never. So, I mean, there are many musicians I love that do it. He's never done it. I don't think about no. Mm -mm. Good for him. Mm -mm. Like Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye is the most memorable one. When he did it, He was coked up. I was like, that's how you respect that song. (laughs) (laughs) 
Be not here. Exactly. <laughs> Be out of your mind. <laughs> and just like do it all over. Do it in your way. If you're going to do it. And I love when people sing it badly. I love like that Fergie, Fergie messed it right, up. Yeah, Fergie. I love that Roseanne. <laughs> Roseanne, you know, that was a whole other conversation. But I love that she messed up and grabbed her crotch after it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, everyone's like, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. She didn't mess it up that much. But I love when people are like, ah! I love it. I think people should, should always do, do that song that way. Butcher it. Always butcher that song. <laughs> Please. So she says, oh, say, can you see? And she pauses. I'm like, oh, dang, Jill Scott, really? I thought you was all like, you know, fist in air. <laughs> but then she says, by the blood in the streets. I was like, okay, right. ears perked. Ears perked. That this place doesn't smile on you, colored child. I'm not singing it. Whose blood built this land? I mean, if you know the song, you see right, where I'm yeah. going. Like, you can hear the song you're at. With sweat? With sweat in their hands. But you'll die in this place and your memory erased. The thing I love the most about it is the part that everyone wants to hear with the vocal acrobatics. She skipped that. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> oh, say does this truth hold any weight? This is not the land of the free, but the, the home, home of the, of the slave. slave. Oh, That's my wife, like, y'all. If I could have standing ovation. That's my wife, y'all. Give a shout out to my wife. If I could do it, I should have just got my leg into that. But that's how you do this and anthem. The home of the slave. I love, yeah, I love that. That's video. how you do that. Yeah. That is how you do that. <laughs> and anybody saying she's disrespecting the anthem does not know the history of the anthem and ignores the history of African people in this country. She did the correct thing, if you ask me. What do you think of it when you yeah, heard absolutely. it? Absolutely. I was like, yes, yes. I was so happy. I wish I was there. I saw Jill Scott at the Essence Festival in 2014. She didn't do that, but I mean, I thought that was great. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's along the lines of the Sinead O'Connor thing. Mm-hmm. Just like, this is how you respect the anthem. She's like, oh. Okay, I love. I wonder what the conversation was. She's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." Right. Yeah, I'll <laughs> yeah, do, I'll it. do it. Sure, sure. Why not? Yeah, she had people like, "What?" Yeah, so, oh, yeah. say people like, "Yeah, she gonna do it, right?" That she said, "Nope." She she <laughs> I, had people like. I wish like, they had yeah. the audience camera. People like, oh. right. <laughs> <laughs> of the yeah. by the blood in these streets, they were yeah. like, "Oh wait, what?" What? And she didn't get. I didn't hear any booze. No. People were like applauding. Yeah. So I think people knew. People understood. It was the people online that were like, ah, why is she disrespecting the anthem? And then this, this dude, I'm not even going to call him an African. So apparently he's on social, had like Instagram. I, I saw people's commentary about it. But he was just like, she's disrespecting the anthem. And we have it good in this country. All this. I'm mm. like, wait, have you been paying attention? Under rock. Flor- just Florida. <laughs> <laughs> where where Ronda Fascist literally is just like, well, I had nothing to do with the school board changing it, but you know, I'm cool with it. That um you know, it's the same thing. I think they had in textbooks in Texas or whatever that like enslaved Africans were workers. Yeah, and then right, right, right. oh, you know, like being a slave gave them some skills. Like this is the Amer- <laughs> the same America you think we have a good? Key key. Really? What, what, like, and, skills. What, what? <laughs> skills. Slavery. Skills. Producer skills. Wow. So these same skills that uh, people had in their homeland were stolen and they're forced to labor. 
Come on, y'all. Teach them skills. People already had skills. Man. So, yeah, I I applaud this anthem. I should probably type it up and frame it. Because, <laughs> uh, mm, uh, but the, the tricky thing when people go, our blood built this land, our people did, like, that's a tricky thing. Because I don't know if she's talking about, like, Negroes built the White House or something. I don't know if she's talking about that or if she's actually talking about, like, our labor, our enforced labor built this land. Yeah. Hopefully that's what she's talking about as opposed to what a lot of people are talking about. Well, you, I deserve just as much right because we built this land, you know, yeah, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... And look, make no mistake, our perspective here in terms of reparations, the only true reparations is imperialists getting out of Africa. <laughs> That's reparations to I'm us. Be clear. The U.S. is stolen land, so the reparations should be to indigenous people and return on the land. Absolutely. And whatever happens with the rest of us on this land, that should be up to them. Right. They make that decision. <laughs> but people are like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just get out? It's like, huh? that's not how it works. But if that's what you would think, you know, sure, keep thinking that. But that's not how it works. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so the last thing before we get to our main subject is the idol. Oh, yeah. So sure. I wanted to address that. And in turn, as a whole, sort of how view, people view sexuality and how that can also be exploited. Because there's a scene in the idol, which was a horrible show, by the way, and I will explain why in a minute. So, uh, Lily Rose Depp, I I am surprised oh, there right. have that's been no mentions of Johnny Depp in this. That's right. And, oh. and particularly since his Amber Heard. Trial yeah, there. I'm kind of surprised that hasn't been mentioned. I'm very glad that hasn't been mentioned because the daughter has nothing to do with that. But you know, like people always try to put something in. I'm glad I haven't heard that. But. This idea that she's just come out of a mental hospital because she's dealing with the grief because her mother passed. Her mother supposedly was abusive, but now we don't know because the end of the story tells you a different story. I don't know. But her mother was abusive, but she was still grieving her mother. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to because I'm not putting my own life in there. But I, I should say I, I, I can empathize with that. That's all I'll say. But um, she got out of the mental hospital because she had a breakdown. And the show starts with how mental illness is sexy. So she has this hospital band on. And they're exploiting her. And she's going through this mental trauma and mental health struggles. And they're exploiting her because she's a pop star. And there's a scene where you have the, what's the coordinator where they have uh, scenes, like sex scenes or whatever. So they have coordinators now, especially in light of quote unquote Me Too. So they have these coordinators on the set to assure that everyone is consenting to the scene happening. That includes extras, that includes crew, whatever. Like, you're not just going to have a scene. Right. So it's called the <clears throat> in intimacy coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. So there's a scene with the intimacy coordinator. And they're like, oh, why, why do we need that or whatever? And so Lily Rose Depp comes in uh, and but basically she's like, I want to be free to show my breasts or whatever. And the intimacy coordinator is like, 
that's fine and everything, but we need to make sure that consent happens. I'm paraphrasing this whole scene. And then she's just like, well, I wouldn't be able to do that. And they end up locking this dude in a room. So that's essentially telling you the message. They locked who in the room? The intimacy coordinator. Oh, wow. So this is just giving you the message that consent is not okay. This is what it's ultimately. And consent in the show did not happen for a, a, a pretty significant number of the show. Uh, so the plot ends up with she's just traumatized by the death of her mother, but also the experience she's had with her mother being abused. But then it goes into she's the person who orchestrated the whole thing and she's evil. And I'm just saying this really in short because I'm not going to go through this whole show. It, to me, it looks like a very long weekend video and it's like a very long misogynist rape fantasy. There is, in fact, a scene where her character, she's having a conversation with her friend and the friend is like, oh, I don't like that Tedros guy. Tedros is played by The weekend. It's like, I don't really like that guy. He kind of creeps me out. She's like, oh, I kind of like him, you know? She's like, yeah, but he gives me a rapey vibe. She's like, yeah, but I like I that. I like that, yeah. I'm like, oh, what? No woman would write. I, I seriously doubt a woman would write that unless yeah. you're the author of Fifty Shades of Grey or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> but seriously, I can't think of a woman at all who would write that. And so this was all of this stuff. And then it had this BDSM element that people who don't know anything about BDSM or imagine it to be in this particular way or fantasize it to be in this particular way. Like there was no consent in a lot of the scenes. It was just it was just abuse. And I haven't really heard people explore that. There were a few people who are in the BDSM scene. I've heard explore that and comment on that. But overall, there was not really comment on that. And the original uh, treatment for the show was supposed to explore uh, how toxic the music industry is. And there was a woman who was the original showrunner, and there were 80% of episodes done. They had one episode left. And then she left or got fired or something, and reportedly, allegedly... Uh, the weekend said that, well, uh, it was just too much of a, a female perspective. So all that stuff, the show was like millions and millions of dollars and they scrapped that whole series right. and made a new one, which <clears throat> is the one that everyone ended up seeing. It's like, wow. Gross. So it was horrible. So then with that, I really want to get into the exploration of women's sexuality in a way, because this also connects to Jill Scott, because she's very much in tune with her sexuality, I would say. I mean, she's done some stuff on stage that, uh, right. you know, I with mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't know. Were you happy about that? Were you like, yeah, Jill, come here. Well, I, I just was, was like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> but she simulated some stuff on yeah. stage. We'll leave it at that. But yeah she's very much like i am a woman who is in control of my sexuality and then we're seeing artists like you you want to say miley cyrus where was the appearance that she owned quote unquote her sexuality but she did it in this way which appropriated whatever in her mind was quote unquote black culture at the time because she was a disney kid so she said well 
I want to challenge that status of being a Disney kid, and I'm going to enact this sort of caricature of quote-unquote black women culture. And it was like, wow, really? And then, of course, when she you know, became a whole adult, somewhat figured her life out and wanted to become a reputable artist, she kind of got rid of that side and sort of became quote-unquote white again. I, I think that deserves a whole critique. I think that is deserving of that. And <laughs> some people would say, allegedly, that uh, Taylor Swift did the same thing. So, yeah, <laughs> you like I would it. say so. <laughs> so. Bad reputation. That's your hint. See, I, I, I don't really know that much about that. But, yeah, so it, it there is a thing where there are some artists who appropriate what they see as, quote, black culture, but it's very, very much a caricature. And then they're like, oh, I've decided I'm going to be white again. I'm going to be a rock artist or country or whatever, even though we created all that, but that's again, <laughs> a whole other episode. But, <laughs> so there's a particular caricature that you see in popular culture. And then it gets eschewed in favor of being a, quote, real artist. So uh, that is a conversation I want to have in an interview with people. And I would actually like to talk to Miley Cyrus and Taylor Swift fans to see their feelings on that. And they might totally defend her and be like, that's not what she was doing. But it would be interesting to have an actual real conversation about it. Because from our perspective, it's like, wait a minute, that is a caricature of our culture. Mm-hmm. And other people might not see it that way, including other Africans. So right. I don't know that that I think that, that would is be interesting to see what they would say. Cause, yeah. But I think if they're being objective, mm-hmm. I don't see how they could deny that because these resemblances of what she thought was African culture is very clear. Like mm-hmm. those music videos, the way she talked, the way her stage performance was to me feels like she was clearly taken from what she's seen as black culture. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like it was an authentic like honoring of black folks but more so like oh let me see if i can put myself in that situation and get away with it see you can't top tina marie with that yeah right tina marie was sincere mm-hmm. she was like thank y'all for trusting me with right. this art and it was authentic i felt exactly it. i didn't feel like it was like she's like let me try to be the white black person like, oh no she no, didn't do that i didn't at get all. that impression at look, all whereas I, with look. miley cyrus and taylor swift i would include her in that same mm-hmm. category i feel like it was like Hmm. Because they associated with African artists that like Tadra Call, mm-hmm. who's a dancer who Taylor Swift used a lot. And it's like, and this is a person who's very white aligned, who uses a lot of white references in his music. That's the dude that did lips, nails, hips. To, I like that. That's my jam. <laughs> that Look, that's my, I don't care. I mean, I don't know any of his other music, but that is my jam. Is that him though? I love that. I don't care. I don't work. I swear. I don't even know. I think that's him, right? I think so. I think so. That's my jam. Don't talk bad about that. I, I don't well, know. Maybe not that, but everything else is I like, don't know anything else about that guy. I don't know any, but that's my jam. Yo. Okay. So he, 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 he yeah, self-hating? He did. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. He has a history that's long as, it's long. It's oh, very dang, long. Why you got to disappoint me like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. But yeah, he did do that. You're right. The, the lips, heels, and um, lips, hair. I don't even. Right. Yeah. That's lips, my jam. Hair, Look, yeah. don't play with me. That's my jam. <laughs> do not play with me. I don't want to hear nobody talk bad about that song. Nails, hair, 
Hips. Hips, heels, right? Face, dawn, lips, real, oh. purse, full, bag, bills. Hell, yes, I, look, I'm a that's big my deal. G- look, that's my. G- I don't want to hear nobody talk bad about that. Anyway. We could critique the artist. Yeah. Do not talk about that song. That's my. I, I love that song. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, yeah. Okay. I don't want to hear nothing bad about that song. Well, that's too bad. I don't know. I, uh, Taylor Swift, huh? She basically hid under his umbrella when she was doing all that stuff. She's like, "What well, Tyler Collins in my music?" And he and he went out of his way to be like, "Taylor Swift isn't an appropriator. She's for the like culture and all sorts of stuff." For the culture? Yeah, he went Look, through like. He, okay, I'll just yeah. say this: like, stop saying for the culture when you just do music. For the culture means you gonna be on the front lines for our liberation. That's for the culture. Yeah, ain't no just just cause just cause you do rap music or just cause you might yeah. say it's lit or whatever <laughs> yeah that's not for the culture get out of here it's Stop lit it. right no I don't I don't wanna hear that no. Get, no yeah so don't don't try to take aspects of our culture like don't do the what what's what they say because um, Miley was twerking Miley was out here yeah doing don't all don't do of, that she was doing all of that if you're not gonna be the front lines of our liberation like, don't say you for the culture. Using like, like it was like. Yeah, don't do that. Nah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, that's too bad. I don't know anything about Taylor Swift. I so I can't. And she ain't doing know. that now. <laughs> but yeah. when she, there was an era where she was doing it. I mean, you—it's mm-hmm. all online. You can watch all of it. Like that bad reputation stuff. Like the whole album cover having Future. She did a song with Future. I See, I don't even, I've heard of that guy, but oh, toxic. Gross. <laughs> yeah. She was doing all that. All I'm saying is don't talk bad about that lips, hair, <laughs> okay. hips, heels, whatever it's called. I don't know if I've heard that yet. Th- that's my jam. We're going to listen to that after this episode. Do not talk bad about that song. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to. Oh, second minor threat song. Of that. Maybe we got to do a minor threat episode. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear this. Okay. With women quote unquote taking charge of their sexuality end quote there's still a level of exploitation with it because we have this system of patriarchy so it is this illusion of people taking control but it's still guided by record companies it's still guided by some aspect of a corporation or your people controlling the means of production so with Miley Cyrus doing what she did, it made dollars for somebody. And so I think years later, she talked about being exploited, which is interesting in light of her exchange with Shanette O'Connor, getting back to that. So, but we have Lily Rose Depp's character who ended up being written. I think they took an episode out and they kind of crunched all of this stuff in where it made no sense. But she's just like, well, I want to show my breasts, you know. And then we have, uh, what's the Moo Cow? What's her name? Doja Cat. Yeah. See, I don't know her music. I know that song, but <laughs> Doja I don't Cat know any really of these like, people. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I heard their names, and I heard maybe like one or two songs, but I don't. I really don't know any of these people. So there's that. So all these people are you know, talking about how they have taken charge of their sexuality. And it's just fascinating to me because it's still very much a male gaze. It's still very much a uh, something that's controlled by people who control the means of production. I know that you love Beyonce, so 
I do want to ask your thoughts about that. Oh, about what? Like her taking control of her? Yeah. Do you think that's something? Do you think that someone who controls the means of production is ultimately controlling how she views her sexuality? Yeah. Because I don't get the impression that Beyonce is in much control about what she's doing with her. Like, I feel like there's a team. She definitely has a team Mm -hmm. that is involved in all of what she does. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much control she has. That's one of the things I've been thinking about. Because when I look at all of her demonstrations over the past 10 years, like when she made the distinction to stray away from pop music and to do more so like the hip hop, like, Right. Right. Yeah, right. H-Town bitches. H-Town bitches. That's you from Texas. I ain't from Texas, but I did live in Texas for a long time. But yeah, like that, (laughs) that is exactly what I feel like. She did that as a strategic move to gain more popularity because a lot of people didn't like the stuff she was doing that was like pop centered. Like Mm. if I was a boy, all these other songs that are very pop Celine Dion-esque. So I feel like she made that intention because her team was like, hey, you know, this will really solidify you with the culture. And Jay-Z being a huge reason for that. Saw that? <laughs> I don't know if y'all heard that. We right. just heard, it was like thunder. Right. And it was a cat that went, yeah. <laughs> Dang. Oh, now it's, it's going to pour. Ooh, oh, poor cat. Oh, oh. oh I hope he's safe. Look, I, safe. I... Cats are my favorite people in the whole world, so now I'm freaked out. But anyway, what were you saying? Yeah. So, uh, no, I don't I don't know how much Beyonce is taking control of that. Because even when you look at how she's talked about feminism, right? So you look at her um, Lemonade album, or even Beyonce, the self-titled album, where she talks about feminism and all these things. It was birthed out of her husband cheating on her. And it was like, I feel like it was just the moment. It was a conversation of the moment. So she's like, yeah, I'm a feminist, you know? Has she talked about feminism beyond that point? Hmm. No. So I don't know how much is, I mean, I, I do think a lot of it is contrived. I don't know how much of it is authentic. I think a lot of it is controlled by the folks who are around her. And my biggest criticism with Beyonce is I don't know where is Beyonce in our music. Like, I don't know if it's her really making these decisions or if it's her team. Hmm. So I think a lot of it is just, she's, you know, her team is looking at social media, looking at what folks are saying. And then like, hey, you should cater to this, fit into this to, to kind of give your base what they want mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what she wants or if that's what she wants to do I can't really tell because I feel a lot of a lot of smoke and mirrors I see with Beyonce wow wow yeah, uh, Beyonce is another person I really I really don't know that much about but I know that you love her I would you say you're a fan yeah I'll say I'm okay a fan. I'm living there. would you say <laughs> that you are part of the beehive no so what's the difference? I think those who are part of the Beehive unequivocally, unequivocally accept Beyonce in all of her manifestations, even when she's problematic, even like they're fine. They find ways of justifying her reasoning. And I think the Beehive takes a little bit more seriously what she's doing. Like they find it to be a part of like this grand plan. I don't know how much of it is a grand plan for her. I think a lot of it is just her team saying, hey, you should do this. This works. This is what people are looking for. And then Beyonce fitting into that. And I'm not going on my way also like some folks in the Beehive would do to shut down someone who are, who's criticizing. Like the Beehive very rarely criticizes Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Like they're almost like, no, she's doing this because of this. And this is the like, how can anyone hate her? Like they find every reason to reinstate why she is the queen. And I'm not doing that. I don't call her the queen or none of that. So I'm not out here like, no, Beyonce is flawless. 
I have a lot of criticisms for Beyonce. And one of the reasons I really do like Beyonce is her voice, but her lyrics suck. I don't like her lyrics. And I do usually... dare you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But her... I like the her voice and how many different ranges she can take her voice in, but mm. I'm not one to... I would not classify myself as a part of the B.I.V., no, because I've never seen her. And even while I look... Like, even now, like I can criticize her and I can accept those criticisms. I recognize what her role is. She's married to Jay-Z, okay? And Jay... Not to say, like, she got to do everything or co-sign with Jay-Z is, but she hasn't really strayed away from what Jay-Z is saying. I mean, she, she mm. follows the same line, so... I'm not out here thinking Beyonce is flawless. I feel like Beyonce is... I'm actually working on like writing something about Beyonce because I find a lot of connections between Beyonce and Jay-Z like I find with Prince and his protégés and what he was able to mm. kind of like do with them. I feel like Beyonce, she came in at a time... I mean, she was a part of Destiny's Child, of course, but when you look at Jay-Z, he was involved with people like Aaliyah and Rihanna and a lot of these younger artists, Jay-Z is still 13 years older than Beyonce. Mm-hmm. And I think the influence of his, like, he has so much more influence than I think a lot of people give to him. Because they're like, no, but he, she, she does her own thing. But it's like, she really mirrored a lot of what Jay-Z was putting in his music at the same time, too. <laughs> so I don't find her to be like... I don't need Jay-Z. It's like, no, she, and she acknowledges my husband. That's my man. That's my man, you know? So, so, so is she, would you say that she's male identified in a way? Really? I I would say that. Yeah. Because even her writers, like her writers, she doesn't, I mean, one thing I can say about Rihanna is that she uses a lot of women writers. Beyonce Mm. does not. She oh, wow. works with the same male, right? Like the dream, hit boy. Yeah, but Janet Jackson, well, she co-writes, but... Right. Well, that's what Beyonce doesn't. Not really. Oh, really? She doesn't oh. co-write often. No. She has mm-hmm. like a couple, maybe four songs out of... like. She, well, what she, about Whitney Houston? Because Whitney Houston, I think, has written four songs in her old catalog. Right. And I think... Well, she has had uh, women writers, but aren't a lot of the writers men? Yeah. A lot of them are. Like so would Whitney primarily. Houston be a male-identified... Uh, you I think mean, Whitney Houston would be? I, maybe not and to the same extent. you are a Whitney Houston extent. fan. I, so you I'm gotta... a, I am a fan of Whitney. But <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, I guess when you look at the content of what Whitney, like the songs that Whitney sung are very much, I guess you could say they are like hmm. male identified. Yeah. But I feel like Beyonce has this mask of being this woman who's doing on, she's the, she's at the front of the stage and she has all of this presence. But then when you look at the credits, or when you look at the content of the music, or even the videos, mm-hmm. a lot of her videos, people have criticized it being part of the male gaze because mm-hmm. she's like doing it for the man as opposed to doing it for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much of it is really. That's what I'm saying. When I look at Beyonce, I'm really trying to discover where is she in this mm-hmm. because I don't, I can't find the distinction. And I feel like with Whitney, sometimes. I do find a distinction where it's like she's doing it. I mean, Whitney was obviously very spiritual and she used mm-hmm. a lot of her. She talked about God a lot. And it was like she had a higher, higher, higher love. No pun intended. Um, but Beyonce, I, I, it's hard for me to, to really register what she's doing it for. And if she's really doing it on her own account or if it's a lot of influence by her husband and other producers. Like, wow. And we, we've gone in a whole deep end with that. I was just, I, I, I mean, Whitney Houston, 
Yes, I like Whitney Houston. Uh, but yeah, I really don't know anything about Beyonce. <laughs> you know, bow down. Look. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, I was, I don't even remember mm-hmm. how I was exposed to that song. Oof. But. <laughs> so with the number of women, so you have, you know, a Cardi B or a Megan Thee Stallion. Yeah. You, you have women that say they're in charge of their sexuality. But then you have you know, all, all of these other artists, Janelle Monet, for instance, just flashing everybody <laughs> left and right now. <laughs> right. It's the age of pleasure. Right. So does this symbolize the male gaze? Is this, I mean, what does that mean? Are people really free if they do that? Uh, I mean, what do you think about all that? Well, I mean, I feel like Janelle Monet makes a clear stance. She's like, I'm not doing this for men. Like, okay. and I mean, and I don't hear Beyonce saying stuff like that. I feel like when you make, you go out your way to be like, look, I'm doing this because I love my body and I want to express mm-hmm. it. That's different from like, I'm, I'm showing my body because this is my man and I'm married to him and he's receiving it because it's not just that. Obviously, Jay Z is not the only one looking at that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like when you go out of your way to make the distinction, that pretty much separates you, at least in passing like yeah i'm not doing i'm doing this for myself and even with someone like megan the stallion she's made comments like that as well like i'm not i feel like it's more like i'm expressing my body i'm expressing myself mm-hmm. and i'm not trying to please any man within this and i feel like with the tory lane situation with megan she was able to really see like all of these rappers that claim they love me it's just talk because mm-hmm. as soon as i'm in trouble as soon as i'm in you know i was shot by this male rapper, everyone was on his side. No one was listening to Megan. No one was hmm. listening to her situation. And she was really able to see a lot of these people were just doing it for clout. They weren't doing it because he really cared for what she was going through. I feel like you, if you're making a stance, if you're being public about your body, you will make clear that you're doing it for yourself as opposed to like, oh, no, I'm doing it because, you know, I like to be desired. And I'm not saying Beyonce wants to be desired, but I think even... The music she's making, Summer Renaissance, I mean, you even said that's not a album she's making for someone of your age. I mean, she's clearly... <laughs> <laughs> While I bust it, bust it, bust it for you, baby. Like, <laughs> you call me old right now. I, I got you. No, that's I'm okay. not. No, 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 I'm not. I mean, I am, but, you know, I'm like, no, I'm, you're not. okay. But, like, yeah, like, the music is really centered for a younger crowd. And right, that, right. And that is what makes me, it's like... I would love for Beyonce to do an album that is reflective of where she is now mm-hmm. as a 41 year old woman. Right. And that's not what, that's not the, the trajectory she's followed really. Like she's, she does music for the youth, which is, you know, kind of like what Cardi B like, what's the difference between an album like summer Renaissance and Cardi B's recent album, or even someone younger, like, uh, Megan Thee Stallion, like lyrically mm-hmm. they're, they're the same thematically. Like there's not really any, She's not talking about, I mean, Break My Soul can be seen as a song where she's, she's talking about losing her job and all this other stuff. But She lost her job, really. Yeah, that's what she said. You about to lose like, your job. She said, like, I lost my job. You about they to lose your job. Get this dance. That's, that's what Beyonce singing. She's like, they work me so hard from nine to five. Maybe she's talking about her father. She's been away from Matthew for what, the last 10, 20 years? Well, okay. I mean, people who do not have a lot of experience with having a typical nine to five make songs like this all the time right biggest example michael jackson yeah 
off the working wall. Working day and night. <laughs> working, working. Well, no, that's different. But like Michael Jackson says tonight, gonna up nine to five off on the show. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, when has when has Michael Jackson had a typical nine to five? Never. Right. Beyonce has never had a typical nine. So clearly they're doing these songs because they resonate with people who do. Right. Because it's a pop song. Mm-hmm. And Beyonce's done this before. I mean, she has a song called Haunted, which she has similar themes, like, you know, mm-hmm. working nine to five, working nine to five, just to stay alive or whatever. So she's definitely covered that. But, and that's, again, that's just one song out mm-hmm. of the album where she's kind of relating to the masses of people who work nine to five. She's not really talking about that. That's not what the album is about. That's not, mm-hmm. that's just one song. So it would be one thing if she did an album that was like centered on that theme, but it's like, it's just a song. God, it wouldn't sell. Yeah. Right. right. My guess who wouldn't sell is like, get the bosses off your back. Right. Yeah. Revolution. Yeah. That's people yeah. gonna be like, what? Right. Yeah. 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 We need. We need a world with no bosses. Yeah. Right. She would never. She do wouldn't that. do that. No. <laughs> I mean, Beyonce is bragging about being was worse, or she's like billionaires. Like she talks about uh-huh. her children being okay because you know. Oh, that's so nice for you. I like that for you. Thank you. Like I worked so hard. My great. What she say was the lyric. My great grandchildren already rich. That's a lot of brown children on your Forbes list. Oh, she's talking about black capital. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah next exactly. subject. Next subject. Um, <laughs> speaking of labor, <laughs> <laughs> the SAG strike is interesting because that affects content creators, that affects all sorts of people. And I started thinking about if people had a strike against Ticketmaster or something like that. That would affect so many venues, like Live Nation, venues owned by Live Nation, where all the staff were to protest. I honestly, I've been seeing a lot of shows. I honestly would put all my tickets up to support the workers. As much as I want to see the music, if I knew that there was a mass strike, I would be like, boop. You know, I don't know how many people would do that. So I'm not being like, everybody needs to, because I know that's not the reality. Like, people like, look, I want to see a show. I'm going to see a show. I paid for it. But for me, if Netflix is one of the companies that the workers are striking, I think every single person should cancel their Netflix account. Obviously, the reality is that's not going to happen. And I think even the strikers were like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't have to do that. I'm like... Well, what's the point? Yeah, you, you like if you're a striker, you should be like, and look, since the they're strike, not treating us well. Right, Boycott right. Netflix. Like, stop, stop this liberalism here. So yeah, <laughs> I understand the reality that not everyone is gonna do that. So I'm not a person to be like Morrissey and be like, well, if you really supported the workers, you need to do that. I'm just saying for me, I do not have a Netflix account based on the history of that company. And, you know, I'm not going to see new, new movies or whatever. Like, yeah, I'll watch Dog Day Afternoon. That's my favorite movie. That was produced by Warner Brothers, 1975. Sure. But any new movies like that, I'm not going to see new movies by these particular companies that are exploiting labor. So that's what I'm talking about. But everyone went to see Barbie, which was Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. There's a strike going on, and you are supporting the CEO of Warner Brothers who's making $60 million or whatever. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you truly support the strike, why are you right, going to right, see right. Barbie? Yeah. 
And that made, what did it make, like a billion already? Probably. Which is crazy, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. But the reality is, it's the, the reality is clear. Right. People made the CEO of Warner Brothers money this past couple weeks. Absolutely, yeah. So I... I so that's enough. Me right. just going, that's like screaming at clouds. No one's going to listen to me. So I'm just saying, for myself... I am not going to see any of these movies produced by these companies. I'm not going to support Netflix. I'm not going to support Amazon. I don't have an Amazon account either. So, but that is my choice. I know that most people are not going to follow that. So again, I'm not going to pull a Morrissey and be like, well, you're a horrible person because you have a Netflix account and you have an Amazon account. Like, what sense does that make? You're not going to get people on your side doing that. <laughs> but I'm just saying for me this is Jamila's view that I think outright boycotting those companies should be the thing to do right that's just that's my view on that nobody should have seen Barbie but I've, everybody yeah, saw Barbie right. <laughs> I did not see Barbie I stand with you on that too because I, I mean I thought I mean the yeah the strikes I'm like no I haven't seen any Netflix um, show or movie since the strikes so mm-hmm. I stand with you on that because it's like if you are seeing it, then it distracts. Because everyone who's talking about Barbie... It's not talking about the strikes. They're not talking about the strikes. They're talking about Barbie Mm -hmm. and Ken and the world of, you know... Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And even these executives, they're basically trying to starve out workers. They're like, yeah, they'll they'll come back. They'll come back because they can't pay their rent or whatever. So, these things are happening, and this is a history of labor. As long as they're not making any profit... Man, you know, that's when they change their tune when there's a profit. That's what I'm saying. If everybody were to cancel a Netflix account, stocks would plummet. They would make no money and they would be like, okay, 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 okay. okay, okay. okay. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they're being sincere about it. They're just seeing the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But once their bottom line is like nothing, yeah, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. ooh. Mm-hmm. So you have to force your hand with these people, sadly, under capitalism. Because either way, you're, you're not going to be respected as a human because capitalism is no respecter of humans or non-humans either right. or land. Nothing. So, <laughs> so yeah, I understand the reality is everybody went to see Warner Brothers Barbie. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, everybody's horrible, whatever. I don't know what company produced Oppenheimer, so I can't, that's why I'm not talking about it. But it's probably Universal. So I, don't, I, I honestly don't know. Focus Features, which I think is Lionsgate, which is Universal. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I just, that's how I feel about it. Because if you're going to support the workers, at least if you're not going to get rid of your Netflix account, maybe contribute to the fund. And we'll post the link in the description, but at least post to the fund that supports the workers so they can get stuff to eat. Um, just, yeah, if you're not going to do a complete boycott and you say you support the strikers, at least do something. Right. That, that's all I'm saying. Like, I 1 billion percent support an outright boycott, but I'm just one person and I know I'm a minority on that. So at least do the minimal. <laughs> yeah. Just so people can eat and people can get some kind of support because again capitalism is no respecter of humanity it's no respecter of any life at all so i I did want to say that and also connecting with labor the there's a couple more things i want to talk about before i get to this part and then we're really going to get to the main subject (laughs) so it's the 50th anniversary of hip-hop and krs one of course is like i'm the teacher 
I'm the ambassador of hip hop or whatever he says. Ugh. Oh, wow. So I've actually kind of met him before, and and I saw all of this happening when I, this was like 20 years ago. So I don't know, but I, I just like the Ice Cube thing. You see, you see all this stuff coming, and because I did like a, a a group interview, so it was like a whole bunch of people from radio magazines, you know. So I was part of that, and he was kind of cocky. Was, but he did say one thing which was interesting that I remember and took from this whole interview out of everything else he said. So he said that society is going to uh, enter a process of de-evolution and people are going to end up back in sort of the caveman days. And I'm like, it's interesting how he worded it. I was like, yeah. So it was interesting because I think he did have a point there, but he was still very cocky and I saw... You know, where he is now, I definitely saw at that time when I participated in this group interview. And so we see him as a representative of the hip hop community. Mm -hmm. So he's there with Eric Adams calling him the hip hop mayor. I'm like, Eric Adams, Eric Adams. Like, if y'all know who Eric Adams is, please research him. Because he is a supporter of slumlords. He is a supporter of killer police he's 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 called the blackface giuliani and uh yeah there's a reason for that if you know anything about giuliani i know a lot of people know giuliani now because of the association with trump outside of new york but i lived in new york when giuliani was there and moved from new york when he was still mayor i don't know many people who are from new york city who are fans of giuliani i'll just say that so, and then, you know, uh, September 11, 2001 happened and he was called America's mayor. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? So yeah, uh, Eric Adams is called the, the blackface Giuliani. So that should tell you everything. And KRS-One, Chris Parker supporting this guy. That should tell you everything about that guy. And there's a lot of things he said. And he also is a defender of child abuser, Africa Bambata. So that should also tell you everything about KRS-One. It's very sad situation. I just wanted to make a note of that. I, I don't, you probably, it doesn't sound like that you saw that whole thing. No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he had a whole rap, and then he's like, Eric Adams. He's like, if y'all remember Koch, he wasn't a hip-hop man or Eric Adams. I was like, oh, really? Really? Chris, really? Chris, Chris. All these people. This is the same guy that made a song called Black Cop. He made a song called Black Cop. He made a song called Sound of the Police, among other songs. And he's sitting here praising Eric Adams as a freaking hip-hop mayor. That should just tell you everything. Listen to those two songs and then pay attention to the support for Eric Adams. That's all I'm going to say. Because now we're going to get to the last subject before we get into... Hopefully... Y'all are finding this seg- segment of our episode positive. <laughs> but throwing phones at people, this is connected to labor in a way. But people are deciding to throw phones, ashes, all kinds of things at performers. This is going to end very badly. This is going to end up with uh, the same as... I don't know if you've seen old school ministry shows like late 80s, but they had a gate in between them. Because their shows were wild. Uh-huh. So people didn't know. They're like, I'm going to see ministry. People are like, be careful, man. Be careful. 
and they had a gate and so there's the video that shows this it's like a whole live video in case you didn't feel like showing up and so there's the gate and yeah like that just tells you about a ministry show so that's what shows are gonna end up like if people keep throwing these phones at pop artists but it's not gonna be the gate it's just it's gonna be plexiglass so like the the you know nothing breaks or whatever it's a little crack but it won't go through so that's how people are going to start performing. And then I heard there were performers that are doing meet and greets with AI now or holograms. That's what's going to happen. Oh, wow. So now they're probably going to get the technology because they're doing with this with ABBA and everything too now. But they're going to get this technology where you're just going to see AI. If that, that keeps happening, these performers are like, Oh, I'm not gonna be live on stage. What? Yeah. I'm not. Uh, uh-uh. uh. I'm not trying to get her on stage. You seeing my AI? That's what's gonna happen. Right. So they they they're gonna be behind the scenes just watching it. Gee. And then they might do behind the curtain where they're moving, and then the the hologram moves along with them. But yeah, they. they so they'll set up a whole two hour show where it's just that. That's what's gonna happen. Or. They're going to make the tickets higher because they're going to add extra security and infrastructure to make sure people do not do that. So it's going to affect the people who go to concerts. These people who do that and try to be trolls and try to get attention do not pay attention to the long run of things. Yeah. This is going to affect everybody in the long run. Shows are going to be they're already cost prohibitive in a lot of ways. They're going to be so cost prohibitive that no one's going to end up going, going to these shows. And then the performers and the venues are going to lose a ton of money. And then like, they're not going to have tours. So this is like the worst side of it. Right. But yeah, people just think about these individual things. They don't see the long run of things. And it's just, you have to. Like, you're just going to start seeing AI. Things are already going to AI. That's all you want to see is AI and holograms Oof. with these pop artists. Try trying to throw some of Patty LaBelle. She's going to knock you out. <laughs> She's going to throw her shoe back at you. Don't, don't, don't even, don't do that. Yeah. Don't throw anything at anybody. Look, and, and what was it, Cardi B? Yeah, she Like, she threw she... that mic. That's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, people throw stuff, that's what's going to start happening. And then and she had perfect aim. Why did why did Cardi B get assault charges? Like that person should get assault charges. They were dropped. She defended herself. They were dropped, yeah, but yeah. So you throw some like you don't you don't know what that is. So she's like, oh what? Bam. I know that. Ooh, mm-hmm. that was hard too. <laughs> right. Cardi B is from the streets, right. man. She, she like she y'all, why force, y'all like, messing with people like that? that? Like y'all don't know. Like a lot of them artists from the sixties and seventies, like they was hooked up with the pant, like the Delphonics, all them people. They, they were singing all nicely on stage, but you get them off stage, they beat your ass. It's business. So business. I believe Adele when she, she what she, right, said. she said. I believe <laughs> Adele when she said that. Yeah. Because you don't mess with the quiet people. Not at all. So I, just stop messing with people like that. Don't do that. I, so that, that's what I have to say to that. Because stop. Because you... you ruining it for everybody and nobody can enjoy to see a show so i i just wanted to say that stop stop throwing stuff at people anyway <laughs> how can we segue into this um <laughs> there, there were balls being thrown yeah we can segue right. <laughs> there were balls being thrown from uh above uh from these 
towers, these giant towers, and seek and destroy was played. <laughs> so now you know. If you know, you know. Yes, we went to see Metallica. Now we are on to the main subject of our show. We went to see Metallica. This was the first show on the North American leg of the M72 tour. And it was absolutely amazing. So I want to hear your perspective. So this was your fourth, fourth time seeing Metallica. Wow. So you're getting up there. Yeah. It's funny because some folks only seen Metallica zero or maybe once or twice. And mm -hmm. I've seen them already five times. I know. So, okay. Before you get into it, where would you put yourself in the spectrum of people who appreciate Metallica? I, I really appreciate them. I, I enjoy them. I love what they've been doing. I wouldn't say that I'm like, some folks are just like, ooh, Metallica, like in every, I mean, I really do enjoy them. So I don't know where I put myself. I'll put myself pretty high in the sense that I really respect their music and I really love their shows. And I think that they are great. And I love that they've been doing this for so long. That's where I would put them. I would say that they are at the point where, I mean, they've been doing it for 42 years and I think they're really good at what they're doing and they listen to what folks, they clearly know that there's a, there's a scene of folks that come that have not experienced them. And I think they make it good for everybody, not just for folks that have been watching them for years, but for folks like myself, who've, who's only experienced them for the last two years. So, so you've seen them five times in two years. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> well, I guess I've seen them five times in two years, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've seen them more than five times right. in two years, right? Yeah. Because yeah. this is my ninth and tenth time. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, where where would you put yourself? Like, scale, number, percentage? Uh, Probably a seven. Seven out of what? Ten. Really? Yeah. So you would say you're a fan? Yeah, I'm definitely a fan. Everyone who's seen me post on my uh, stories were like, wow, you see Metallica a lot of times. Really? Yeah. So, okay, Beyonce and Metallica, because you said you're a fan of them both. Well, I'm not seeing Beyonce. I was supposed to see Beyonce just this well, last week or two weeks yeah. ago, but I, that didn't come through. Uh, and Whitney. I would put Metallica pretty high. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I must, I mean, I'd put them on the same, like, like, if I could see Whitney, of course, I would have loved that. And mm -hmm. I, I still would love to see Beyonce, but I would say they're a great band to see live. And I've, they've been one of the best shows. You're not answering my question. I don't know where to put them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. I think that they're pretty good. And where, I would, where would you put yourself on the fan scale of Beyonce and Whitney? Whitney, I'm like at a nine. Like, Ooh, like that's Whitney. okay. I, that's that's my girl. Okay. I would say for Beyonce, six. She's not exactly at so a seven. So that you just answered my right. question. Yeah. So yeah. So Metallica is at a seven. Beyonce six. Beyonce okay. nine. Beyonce, I mean, uh, Metallica, Whitney, nine. Whitney. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay. yeah, Metallica goes beyond Beyonce. Beyonce gonna get you. They gonna come for you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. I mean, to be honest, I don't know where I would put myself in that spectrum either. I 
have only identified as a fan during this recent 72 seasons right. era, even though I have first seen them in 1991. I have followed them on some level over the years and have seen them live and everything. But I think it's just at this stage in my life how their music resonates with me more than anything. I think why I have chosen to not say I'm a fan is because you know my association with being a fan. I think being a fan and, you know, that again, 90% wrong. So most people are probably going to disagree because most people disagree with me when I say I'm not a fan. They're like, yes, you are. What are you talking about? So my definition of being a fan is someone who has an irrational obsession. So I've, I'm... Do I have an irrational obsession with Metallica? No. But for all intents and purposes, yeah, I'll say I'm a fan. I do, as I keep saying, have an irrational obsession with St. Anger. I'm a St. Anger stan. So yeah, I guess being a stan is an irrational obsession, but to me, a fan is bordering that. Yeah. Because I think if you're a fan, you're like dedicated. Maybe it's not your whole life or it's not whatever, but... I think a fan is still very high on that level where this person is a huge part of your life in some way, whether it's their art or whatever. Um, they have inspired you as an artist. So I guess, yeah, okay. I guess I can see that I'm a fan in that level because they have inspired me as a person who makes music. Sure. Uh, but you don't even have to be a fan there either. So I don't know why I say, I, I don't know why I say I'm a fan. <laughs> There was a reason, and I can't remember. Yeah, I remember the reason, too. I, I can't remember either. Was it Rumor Beers? It was 72. Re- it was something related to the album. but Yeah, well, but see, I can't even remember. Yeah. So I'm not a fan. Until I figure that out, I'm not a fan anymore. Until <laughs> <laughs> I figure out that reason, I am not a fan. I'm just an appreciator of Metallica, but am a stan of St. Anger. So, <laughs> so your experience with your ninth and tenth time, we did not sit together. On this occasion, I think that's the first time. Yeah, that's true. So I had, I got the package. It was the was Seek and Destroy package. People who have no idea what I'm talking about will not know what I'm talking about. But it, you had different packages. So the tickets I got, I just got a lower level seat. And I was able to be closer to the stage. And because there was general admission or GA as it will hear and be called <laughs> on this episode. Uh, so there's GA, and so I was the closest seat to GA. So the stage wasn't that close because you had a very large GA. And I could still fairly see the band when they came on our side because the stage, which is called Ethel, they called the stage Ethel. I guess I am a fan. How do I know that, right? Oh, so, right. <laughs> so Ethel was as large as I think they said it, w- it was as large as the stage on the St. Anger tour. So it was like, oh. yeah. So it was just like as big it could fit that whole stage in there. So it's a very large stage. And then you had in the middle of that, because it was in the round. So in the middle of that, you had the snake pit which I was part of in uh, the Pittsburgh show last year, which I talked about. And, um, oh, yeah, that's why I'm at 9 and 10, and you're at 
yeah. because I went to, okay. I'm like, wait, where did I go? So we didn't sit together. What was your experience? So now you were alone as a Metallic fan. Right. Well, the first night was different from the second night. I feel like the first night I met a, a good friend. Well, I call her a friend, but I don't know. A good person who was sitting next to me. Allison, I believe her name was. And she was really funny. Allison. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> um, we talked a lot about Metallica and she told me how she saw Skinny Puppy. We had two people in front of us who were standing up the whole time, which I know that's that's not a bad thing necessarily, but because our view was sort of like interestingly placed, mm -hmm. we basically had to measure that same thing. Like we have to stand up to see the show as well. That's Just, right. You better stand for Metallica. Yeah. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, it was it was incredible to see them both nights. The second night <clears throat> I enjoyed them a lot more. Not that I didn't enjoy them the first night, but I feel mm -hmm. like because it was the first night, you know, the technical, the sound wasn't... I feel like the second night, the sound was better, too, for me. Mm -hmm. The first night was a little muffled. But to hear these songs that I've been listening to since the album came out was exceptional. I mean, I really was looking forward to the songs that they played. They played one of my favorite songs, Shadows Follow. That was a world premiere, too. I so I, I wish I saw you when they... When, cause, cause James was speaking and Lars started playing the drum. So I was like, that's shadows. Where's Jesse? Yeah. I was like, so he was doing his, James was talking. I was like, wait, are they playing shot? So me and the people in our section, we were like, that's shadows. We were like, is that shadows? And so did you, when he was playing the drums, did you know that was yeah, shadows? Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. So yeah. what, what were you, when you heard Lars hey, introing it? Bobbing. That's where my head was. I was just like. My head was bobbing really. So even really when he bad. was doing the intro, you were, your yeah, head was yeah. bobbing. Yeah, I was like, yeah, because I, I registered it being shadows. And I'm mm. like, oh man, this is it. And so, yeah, I stood up throughout that performance, just like. But like when, so okay, so he was playing the drums, right? And you knew it. But when they started the song proper, how did you feel? Like what happened? I was excited. I mean, I was just like, you know, jamming with them. I was really just like. This is it. I, I realized it was a song. I just was singing alongside with it. I was really excited to know that they were doing it and that this was the moment. So I was just engaged with it and really just like, oh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that because that's it's funny because that's an emotional song for me, at mm -hmm. least when it was when I first heard it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, still, I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, singing the lyrics. Um, Hanging by a thread as I play there. Boom, boom, boom. And if I thread and my mind is cold <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, oh. So I've really, like, and I, but I don't feel like, obviously not everyone at that show probably knew. Because the 72 season songs, it was interesting to look at the the crowd. I, don't, I didn't feel like a lot of folks knew. Like, they weren't engaged in, the, like, singing the lyrics alongside, like, the other hits. I oh, guess. people usually aren't. Yeah. So I was, like, the only one in yeah. the crowd. Just like, and Allison next to me, she's like, oh, wow, you really know this song? I'm like, yeah. yeah You're like, this is my jam. I've been playing this song since it came out. So, <laughs> yeah, like, I enjoy every bit of it. And I feel like, you know, it's such a great song. And the atmosphere, like, I was happy to be one of, uh, I guess there were pl plenty of others, but at least around me that was singing along with it and, nice. like, really vibing with it. Tell me that you exchanged numbers with Allison. No, I didn't. Well, I know. She left early too. Oh. So I was. I, I, I did intend to, but yeah, she left early and yeah. 
I should have. Oh man. Yeah. Oh. Maybe you'll oh. see her again at another Metallica show. Yeah. Or somewhere else, you know. So we were at that same show. I was also at that Skinny Puppy show. Yeah, right. So it's clear she lives in the tri-state area. Yeah, right. So you so might run into her, her yeah. at some point. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, that Skinny Puppy show was great too. So they were on their final tour. So I guess that tour's over. So they're oh, Skinny Puppy. Yeah, that was a great audience too. It was it was a cool show. Uh, so when they played Shadows Follow, for me, the first thing I thought was, "Where's Jesse?" <laughs> And then me and people in our section just screamed. So we were like, it's Shadows! Yes! You know, it was kind of like that. And we were all singing. And yeah, so I saw a lot of people because uh, in the Metallica community, like the hardcore Metallica community, people wanted that song. Yeah. And people were hoping for a premiere. People were like, oh, y'all been performing these songs on the European lake. Can we get a new song? And so they did premiere two new songs on the two shows, which is great. And it was, shad- it was great. Shadows, man. So in the first show, to get that, it was like, oh. And yeah, when James was talking and Lars started playing, I was like, yo, are they going to ready to do Shadows? Like, wait a minute. Is Lars just teasing that and they're going to do something else? Or is he just trying to get James to shut up? Like, what's, you know, so was he like, James, oh, you know, we're on a time, you know, I don't know. But yeah, he kept doing it. So I was like, okay, <laughs> what's that? Are they really doing this? So yeah, we, we were so happy when they did that. <laughs> we were so happy. And of course, battery. I was. That's your jam. That no. is my jam. So they did that. Battery. I mean, I they, they were gonna do either battery or blackened on this leg. I don't know. I mean, if you follow Metallica's patterns on particular tours, you kind of know the songs they're gonna do, and then they do a new one, but it's generally similar. But you still want to catch the songs, and right. you know it may be the same. So you're like, that's my song, and I will see it every show. So Battery is one of those songs for me, and Blackened is one of those songs for me, and One is one of those songs for me. So they did all of those, of course. You can catch the set list if you want to. You know, we're we're not doing any spoilers, hopefully. But <laughs> but in general, like, you know, because I go to a lot of concerts by myself, so I'm used to that. And I know you haven't been to as many concerts. Is this uh, the first time you've been by yourself to, like, a huge stadium show? No, I was by myself when I went to Essence in 2014, actually. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, but this felt like I was really by myself for some reason. Maybe because I wasn't <laughs> sitting next to you. <laughs> right. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, so it did feel a little awkward. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the music helped, obviously. It's the music I know. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Did you catch any other of the bands? I saw a bit of, was it Five Finger? Five Finger Death yeah, Punch, yeah. Just maybe like the last 20, 15 minutes of their set. Oh, okay. Uh, oh you came in that late. Yeah, because I had to walk. Oh, you had, yeah. yeah, and then you had a meeting and everything. Wow. Okay, what'd you think of them? Uh, okay (laughs) i don't know it was it was good enough i guess i didn't really feel any particular way like it wasn't bad per se but i wasn't Mm -hmm. like blown away either Uh, okay (laughs) (laughs) okay 
I just want to say this, and I'm I'm I've been open about this on other episodes, but I'm gonna say it again since actually went to the shows. Pantera, I have been opposed to uh, Pantera being on this tour because Phil and Selmo. And a lot of people are like, but I want to see it, whatever. So again, it's kind of that same thing. Like, these are my feelings about it. And I'm not telling anybody else how to feel. But what ended up happening was exactly what I knew was going to happen. That there were going to be audience members in there who totally aligned with what Phil and Selma was doing. Right. If he's taken no redemptive action for what he's done besides I'm sorry that does not cut it for me because again there's going to be people like that so what ended up happening there were audience members and I found out about this later because I actually did not go to see Pantera unfortunately where I was I couldn't really hear everything that was going on so I didn't hear any music so I was like oh there's sets over so I went back in and then I caught three or four songs at the end of their okay. set yeah. and the song that I caught it was actually a song I really liked but I'm like uh, I don't care if I like the song I'm not supporting Pantera so uh, so I was I was kind of mad because I'm like because being in a wheelchair and you had to go in an elevator I'm not I'm not trying to like go right back out because they'd be like wait you just came back I'm like I know but so I stayed there and it was all like Cowboys from Hell and Vulgar Display of Power songs. The, the songs I'm actually most familiar with in terms of Pantera. And I have seen Pantera two or three times in like 92. And I loved Pantera. I was, I was huge on Pantera. Mm-hmm. And so like maybe I was a Pantera, but I didn't see all that Confederate flag stuff. They would, I didn't see all that when I, and maybe... I think that uh, Dimebag Daryl, Daryl Abbott, I think he might have had it, but I didn't, you know, I don't know. But I did not see all that. And if Phil Anselmo wasn't doing the white power stuff, he wasn't doing the, oh, Pantera's for white people, like all that. He wasn't doing any of that. Because if he was, I would have walked out. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So I would have been like, I would have thrown away my Pantera records if he was doing that. Right. So, and then come to find out footage that um, Daryl was saying the N-word and he said the, the ER part, but it was supposed to be like complimentary. But I'm like, so I don't support Pantera. Right. I mean, I don't know about Vinnie Paul. Vinnie Paul might be cool, but I also know that the Abbott brothers did not get along with Phil and Samuel. And... Vinnie Paul did not speak with Phil and Somo because he connected the murder of his brother to Phil and because Phil and Somo maybe like a week before or whatever in a magazine was just like basically wished death onto Dimebag Daryl. Mm-hmm. Basically was just like whatever if anything happens to him or whatever. And then something did. It was like a fan who was obsessed and thought that Daryl caused the breakup of Pantera. It was shot on stage, which is like, that's why you don't throw stuff on stage for people. Yeah. Like, y'all stop doing that. And so, yeah, like, people were mad at Phil and Selma for that. Like, Vinnie Paul never spoke to him again. He was not invited to Daryl's funeral. So just on that count, like, them doing Pantera to me is disrespectful to the Abbott brothers. Just on that level. So I'm not even talking about Phil and Selma being a white supremacist. 
I'm just talking about like why are you making this band when the two brothers were like no and yeah I know that Daryl's wife was like no that's cool but I'm like that's disrespectful just to, to them Pantera was the, the, the album they started Pantera Phil and Selma was not an original member of Pantera oh wow so yeah. Uh, so yeah it's just weird just on that level I'm like that's disrespectful but then Phil and Selma is in Pantera so I'm like just on two levels I'm like I'm not seeing this so I get Metallica having them open. It gets butts and seats because people love Pantera. If it was just a mammoth WVH, like you wouldn't get, you know, if it was just them and Ice Nine Kills or whatever, like would, would the show sell out? I doubt it. People love them. But if you're in an 80,000 capacity stadium, that's not going to sell out the show. Right. So I get that, you know, it, it, it's might be a business move. It could be that they just love Pantera. I'm just saying, I again, similar to the strike, I just, I do not support that. The band might have been like, well, his apology is acceptable. I do not accept an apology. I accept redemptive action. Apology means nothing to me. If Phil Anselmo saw those fans do the Nazi salute at that show and he said nothing, that tells me more about Phil Anselmo. Yes, right. I knew that was going to happen because I saw Confederate flags and I saw Blue Lives Matters flags there and all that. So I knew that element was going to be at that set of shows. I was very hyper vigilant about like, okay, I'm disabled. I'm African. I'm also a woman. <laughs> so, and you know, in the venue, like there was so much security and cops, like nobody's going to do anything like that. I <laughs> just you had cops with semi-automatic like nothing's going on you know so and I'm sure some of those cops would agree with those people doing a Nazi salute as oh, yeah. you know some of those who work forces are the same that burn crosses right so um I'm <laughs> just saying and maybe some of the security too I don't know I heard that uh there was a security guy that knocked out a dude and like had his head hit the floor so th- security ain't right either in some of these places so I'm just saying, be really careful. And I think that is why it is a good thing to go to a show with somebody. This is one of, A, being disabled, amputee in a manual wheelchair. You know, my arms are killing me. So right. not only is that a good reason for me to go to a show with somebody, but I think a good reason for anybody to go to a show that big with somebody is because you don't know what's going to happen. Word. Yeah, for sure. Because you see a Metallica show, I guarantee you there's right-wing people seeing that band. And they may not necessarily agree with that, but that element is still there. And so I do not entrust the metal community as a whole to step up and be like, yo, I just don't. Because I've seen too many elements. There's people that I know in this community that are great. But as a whole, I do not entrust the metal community. It's really good to go with somebody if you can and, and have their number at all times if you need them. You know, just make sure you have at least one contact at a show. Do not go, to, if possible, do not go to a show by yourself. Sadly, I go to a lot of shows by myself. I don't want to, but, you know, sometimes that's what happens. Please, if you can, go to a show with somebody, especially in these times, especially if you are vulnerable in some way like having a disability another PSA right <laughs> so, um, but yeah so there was Mammoth WVH which I thought was a lot of fun and you had Einstein Kills who I saw 
in Pittsburgh opened for Metallica. I thought they were so much better at this show we just had yesterday on Sunday, which is, uh, what is it? August 6th. (laughs) So today is August 7th. And then yesterday was August 6th. So they did a show on August 6th. I thought they were so much better. And if you like horror and you know, you, you will probably love a band like Ice Nine Kills. Five Finger Death Punch. I caught some of their songs, but I had to go out for semi-emergencies. <laughs> I did catch some of their songs, so I wasn't that... F- I've heard, I think, like two or three songs. And the songs that I heard were talking about PTSD and the military and stuff like that. So um, I think they did those songs that I heard. And I think before they did one of those songs, uh, the singer brought his son out. So I was like, oh, he's nice. like, this is my best friend or, you know, it's my only friend or something. Ivan Jr. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so how was the section where you were at? It was okay. But like, like I said, the first show, not the best sound. I don't think, I mean, the second show was massively improved. Yeah. Uh, but I was able to see things well. I think the view of the the stage, which was huge. I mean, mm-hmm. gee whiz, what a big stage. Yes. Ethel. Like, Ethel's very big. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> you know, but I mean... I, I didn't mind the seat because I think I had like it was right. I was able to see right ahead and see right into the band. So I thought the view was great. Of course you could because it was in the round. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, but you got to see them the whole time where you were. Pretty much. Because where I was sitting, I could only see when they were on the side I was on. Oh, OK. Pretty much, though. Yeah. I mean, mainly through the screens. The um, Yeah. So Chumatons. you couldn't see them. No. Yeah, that's that's what I'm asking. Oh well, yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if it wasn't for the screens, yeah, it would have been difficult. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you only got to see them when they were on your side of the stage. Yeah. Like most people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the interesting thing about in the round because if you're just on a singular stage and you can't see, it's just yeah, then it's like. <sighs> so this is an interesting idea, and yeah, depending on where you are in the venue. The sound is going to be weird because I think the show is recorded in stereo. So some people actually didn't hear Kirk very well oh, where wow. they were sitting yeah. because they were on a side yeah, where that's what the first show. his I guitar was not Kirk being recorded. Right. Really? So, yeah, yeah his, I could hear it, but his guitar was a little low and yeah, definitely much better. Yeah. The second uh, show, the I was definitely yeah. able to hear more. But like the first show, yeah, I was just like, wow, I can't hear it. It's so low. I can't hear it. I can't hear it. <laughs> You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, what was some of your favorite things about the shows? My, I mean, my favorite aspects about the shows were just these songs that I've been playing since the album came out. So, listening to Shadows, Lux Eterna, mm. Darkness. Um, oh, that's right. You haven't gone. seen them on the tour yeah. yet. No. That's right. Your first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oh. Yeah. So, it was like. It was great, you know, the way what they were able to do with the songs live and how it translated. You know, I feel like it. And again, I was probably the only person in my and where I was sitting that was seemingly all into the lyrics, like just really jamming in where everyone was just like when they played 72 season songs, everyone was just like, wow. Yeah. Wow. So what about the older songs? Did you know the lyrics to those? Some of them. (laughs) (laughs) Fuel. Uh, what is the other one? Um, King Nothing. Of course, that's your song. Yeah. The 
Master of Puppets, mm-hmm. which they ended the first night. Yes. Of course, Inter Sandman, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you some about Inter Sandman. So I know a lot of people who have seen them numerous times are like, yeah, Inter Sandman. But for me, and this is the same thing that happened the 40th. I understood. I finally understood. And the same thing with this concert. Just to see everyone light up. I know that it's a song everybody knows. It's pretty ubiquitous at this point. But just to see everyone light up. And I think that registers with the band. And it's just like, it just gives everybody so much energy. And for that, I, I support them having entertainment. Again, I know those of us who are more hardcore about Metallica are like, oh boy. Or nothing else matters. Those are the two songs that got the most cheers. Nothing else matters. Yeah. Fuel got a bunch of cheers too. But nothing else matters at Inner Sandman and puppet, Puppets. Just from where I was sitting, I feel like nothing else matters and Sandman got more cheers. But I get it. I totally get it. I think I said this on the episode when we were discussing before that I get it. I get why they do it. I get it. The crowds, yeah. I mean, yes. they love it. They love it. Yes. So the song that I think... My friend Dave is probably the only person I know of that. But Too Far Gone, I don't think anybody was thinking this was going to be a premiere because everyone's like, Room of Mirrors, Room of Mirrors. I'm like, I want it. That's my favorite song on 72 season, even though I love the whole album. But I haven't heard anybody be like, Too Far Gone. So that was such a wonderful surprise. It was like, yeah, such a wonderful surprise to be like, ah, same thing. We were like, what? What? Ah, So... It's just a surprise in that section where I was. It was the first show, Metallica show that I've been to where everyone in my section was like, yeah, what's up? Because usually when I go see Metallica, it's just me doing that. Everybody's just like, all right, what? Okay. Everybody's like, you're giving each other high fives and stuff. There was this one guy, the second show, he was like, just like ecstatic. I did tell him after the show, I was like, man, you have a lot of, like, you love Metallica, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he was like, I mean, the whole, he was like, whoa, like, I mean, just the whole time looking at everyone behind him like, come on, that's me. Yeah. That's it. Man, I I hope next time I see Metallica, that dude is there. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah. He was intense. Absolutely. Wow. That is a Metallica fan. Yeah, clearly. That is a Metallica fan. Like, whoa. Like the whole yeah. time, the whole time. That's a Metallica fan. <laughs> That's how it should be, man. All in his show. girlfriend's face, she was laughing. She's like, honey, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm your plus one. I'm not you. <laughs> he was also smoking. I mean, a lot of people smoking weed. It was like, oh, weed. there was so much, so much, so ooh, much weed there. I was like, ooh, I'm hot after just a second <laughs> <and> smoke. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I, I am. I shine, never leave me alone. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, man. And I just want to say where I was emotionally just in such a horrible place. Mm-hmm. Hearing that song, I needed that song. It was like hearing Bleeding Me at the 40th. It was a song that I greatly needed and just struggling and asking the question, am I too far gone? And and like, oh, I got to call the hotline. Wow. I'm never too far gone to save. I can make it through the day. That meant so much to me in that moment as it was playing. And guys, thanks God for Metallica. Like, this is just, I can't believe that this is happening. And just all the songs in that space, that series of songs that were happening, I really needed those songs. So 
Um, it was why I loved the second show is because it was an incredibly spiritual experience for me, similar to the second show at the 40th. It was so spiritual. Yeah, it was something my spirit needed in that moment. And I think also, yeah, it was their first show, so it was going to be a bit rusty, but I think the first show was great. Like, they started creeping death. What? They just came out. Okay, long way to the top. If you want to rock and roll. Can't believe I say that. It's because we're not, we're amongst, you know, the general population. So if I said long way, they'd be like, what's that? So ACDC does a song called Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. And Metallica always opens with it. And then they play Ennio Morricone's uh, Ecstasy of Gold. So they open with these two every single concert. And this is something that brings everyone together. So I can only imagine you never being in a Metallica concert and seeing that. And you're like, huh? I think I kind of yeah, warned you. You told me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. But imagine like I didn't say anything. I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to let him experience it. You yeah, know, and just exactly. imagine like, you're like, what? Because all of a sudden what happens, it's like just they play the music and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, right, it's like, exactly. burn it, like yeah. real loud. You're like, huh? Right. What's, and everybody's around you. It's just like, yeah. You're like, wait, wait, <laughs> is this Metallica? What's, what? So they play these two songs and then Metallica comes on. Creep. They open. It was just like, bam, we haven't gone anywhere. We're back, but we haven't gone anywhere. It was just that feeling. It was so great. But the second show, I think for me, and we'll get to this. I was just in shock. So the first show was like, oh, and I was kind of in shock for the second show, but it was a little, yeah, I haven't processed everything yet, but it was just like, okay. Yeah, for me, it was an incredibly spiritual experience. And for some reason, whenever I go see Metallica, I tend to be at my lowest point in life, or at least one of my lowest points. I guess because you say, your every new moment is a low, lowest point. I don't know. So I'll just say one of my lowest points in life mm-hmm. to the point where I'm just like, I don't want to live anymore. And it's, it's literally like right before I go, go to see Metallica. And then when I go see Metallica, it's such a spiritual experience. I don't understand it. I feel like the universe really has brought Metallica to us. Yeah. And I think it's in the place where they're at too. Cause I think if I was at that place and saw Metallica, during the Black Album, which I did see that tour, but I don't think I'd have the same spiritual experience. I think it's where they're at, and they've grown as people, mm-hmm. and that's what they're putting out into the world. Right. So I think I'm just resonating with that, and it's such a incredibly spiritual experience. I just don't even... I'm just so grateful for just all of this, and I'm just so happy to experience this band in my life they have literally saved my life. Liter- and when I say literally, I mean literally. Yeah. If it was not for their song, Just a Bullet Away, which I have a tattoo inspired tattoo. by that song, mm-hmm. and Screaming Suicide, they just hearing those prompted me to call the phone number. So they literally saved my life. And I am so grateful to that band. And people are like, well, what do you mean? You don't know them. Well, I don't. However... <laughs> Here we go. You're like, oh, when were you gonna? When were you gonna right. mention it? I actually wasn't, but now it's it's sort of public, I guess. I mean, I don't know how public it is, but it's somewhat public. There's someone who I've never met in my life, but we're sort of in the same community, 
which has to do with Metal Up Your Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts ever. And they are a Metallica podcast primarily. So there's someone in that community who has, like, I've been on an episode of Metal Up Your Podcast before, and then I do writing and everything. So this person has seen my stuff. And on the day of the first Metallica show, I was like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to check the group and everything. And I see a private message mirror. What do you call it? What do you call it? DM, DM right? Mm-hmm. DM. What, what is it? Message. Direct message. And this person is just like, hey, I won a meet and greet and I don't have any Metallica friends, really. I know you love Metallica and I want to help you fulfill your dream of meeting Lars. And then when I saw that, I immediately called you in here. <laughs> I, I just couldn't. Be, I'm like, what is this? I didn't even know if I was going to go to the show. I had been telling you and everybody else, somebody needs to convince me, encourage me to go to the show because I don't know if I even want to go. That's where I was at on the day of the show. And then I see this and I'm like, what? Right. Wait a minute. What? (laughs) So I've had in my head the whole time, I'm not going to meet these people. I have this whole scenario in my head of what I'm going to say, but I'm like, well, I'm not going to meet him anyway, so it doesn't matter. I'm still having these scenarios, but whatever. And I saw the letter like three days late because she sent it like three days before. So I called her and I said, well, you probably have a person with you, but I'm calling you to really thank you for even thinking of me. And she said, well... Actually, the person that I was with, they canceled, but their name was on the list. If you want to go, we can try and see if it's okay. Uh, So I'm still in a very weird place mentally. I was like, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, being by myself, going across the concrete, my arms are hurting. Nobody's like, can I help you? People are telling me to go one place. And I think I made the mistake. So that's my fault where they told me to go over here. And then I couldn't find the place at first. And then I did. And so we do that and we go get our COVID test because, of course, you know, you hello. Of course, we both had a negative test and so I was like okay you're clear you can meet the best like oh my god <laughs> okay. this is what wait wh- what <laughs> so my brain is just like wait what did you just what so we ended up meeting Jeff who's in the camp yeah so we went and they you know took us backstage and everything so we're just waiting and I'm, I'm just so nervous because I'm just like wait is this really happening I owe her so much I don't even know how to even repay this person because this totally changed my life so yeah we're back there and talking whatever all of a sudden we see Lars uh-huh. and anybody who has listened to this podcast anybody who has seen the Saint Anger movie I did I see Lars and he goes over and t- I guess it's just like hey what's, you know talks to somebody else try- and I'm like, oh, man, that's Lars. That's, that's Lars. That's Lars. Yeah. I'm like, that's Lars. I just, my brain is just exploding. And then he turns around and just looks at us. And then, you know, he brings his hand out, and I, shy, I give him both my hands and shake his hand. And I'm like, Lars, you were my greatest musical inspiration. He's like, thank you. Well, thank you. you know? I'm like, oh, my God. You know? 
And then I tell him, you know, about what happened, these episodes and ideation and me being moments away, like just contemplating ending my life and being moments away from doing it. And these two songs saved my life. I mean, I don't remember everything he said, but he, but he was looking. He was like, wow, you know, <laughs> your band literally saved my life. I'm like tearing up as I'm saying this and almost in like actual tears. And so I tell him, I'm about to cry. And he's like, me too. Christian's just like, I, I, she, I re, she recalled it to me. So that's how I remember. But I didn't remember as it was going on. But she's like, this is, she's the biggest St. Anger fan in the world or something. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> and I guess he was like, what? <laughs> and then either she or I were like, yeah, there's a six hour movie that I made about St. Anger. And he's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, no, I really love this movie. And I tell him, I consider St. Anger to be one of the top 10 greatest albums of all time. And then he, like, gives me a pound. Yeah, that's a special album. It's an album of growth and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I'm talking to Lars. (laughs) And it wasn't like I'm talking to Lars Ulrich. It was I'm talking to my greatest musical inspiration inspiration right now. I mean, Lars is... but. I mean, you met and worked with Prince, so, yeah. like, how did that, was it a similar thing? It's just feeling? like, all of what you're ex- describing is what I was like. <laughs> and, and the thing about Lars is that when he's talking to you, he looks you in the eye mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah, that's Prince, too. Prince is, like, directly looking at you. Yeah, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. I'm having a conversation and opening myself up to my greatest musical inspiration. I just... I'm in shock. So he spent a little bit of time in this. And then, so Kristen, like, I guess they have the same birthday or something. So he signed her CD. I didn't have anything to sign. I didn't even know this was going to happen. So he took a picture. So I was like, is it okay if I have a hug? And he was like, sure, yeah. And so when we hugged, his hug was so comforting. Because you know me, I love hugs. Right, of course, yeah. So when people give good hugs, I'm like, yes. I've seen Lars hug people, and I'm like, oh, my God, he looks like he gives really good hugs. But, like, actually yeah. getting a hug, it was just, like, really sincere. The energy I got is really sincere. And where I've been at this point in my life, I needed that hug. I really needed that because I was, I'm at my lowest point right now. And to be talking with the person who is my greatest musical, if I just, uh, I, uh, you know? <laughs> what just happened you know it just was not real and then like maybe five or so minutes later Kirk Hammett and Robert Trujillo I was like what is this what is going on right now this is I can't believe this is happening and I just want to say the dynamic between Kirk and Rob I know they have talked in interviews their closeness and Kirk's like, this is my homie. This is my brother. But you saw that dynamic between them. And I loved it so much. Like, you could tell yeah, yeah, yeah. how close they were. It was so beautiful to see it in action. We didn't spend as much time with them. But, you know, it was a little more small talk or whatever. But I talked about being a Scorpio. They're Like, Rob and Kirk are also both Scorpios. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, to me, it was just beautiful to see the dynamic between Rob and Kirk. Just to see it, to see it talked about remotely, 
that's one thing, but it, same thing with Lars, but to actually see it and have it happen in front of you, it's just like, this is beautiful. Kirk is somebody I connected with at the age of 15. So to see him in front of it, it's like, this is somebody I resonated with. Metallica was probably my favorite band. That's funny. My second favorite, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire is a band I'm actually seeing later in the week. So I'm seeing my two favorite right. bands. How, I, I just, this is unreal. So, <laughs> yeah, just to see that, it was unbelievable. I'm so in shock. And so then, so go to the show. I end up hanging out a little bit with Anthony, who actually interviewed me when... I was at download. I think I mentioned it. <laughs> Hopefully I mentioned it on the download episode. Hopefully. I really have to thank Rob, the other Rob, not Rob Trujillo. There's another Rob that I have to thank. All of these people are part of my story. They're a special part of my story now. They are, they are part of my life's narrative at this point. Yeah. I'm sorry if you don't like that, but you are now connected. <laughs> um, so... Rob introduced me to Anthony when we were at Download. And then I was also in a horrible place at Download. See, this is what I'm telling you. Metallica, I'm in a horrible place, and Metallica's always connected to that because I feel like the universe brings them to me. It's so... Every single show. I don't understand this. So, Rob, the, it was the night after the first Metallica show, and I'm in such a horrible place. And Rob's just like, hey, it's Rob you know like met up your podcast you know and i'm like hi and i had to go to the bathroom and they didn't have a place for me to go all this stuff right so i'm just by myself again at download at this festival and i go by one of the food carts and rob is there he's like hey remember me from yesterday i'm like uh, you know, hi you know. and he's like do you need help and so we just became fast friends and he was just like, look, I want to introduce you to somebody. And then there's Anthony. So now Anthony is a huge part of my life now. And I'm just so grateful to all these people. So Anthony and his son, they have, I think they're, do they call them black tickets now? I don't know. I disappear tickets or something. I think they have, I disappear. And so they have these uh, lanyards that were around their neck. They're walking around, and they're like, oh, you know, because I had to go somewhere. But then uh, people told us to go in this other entrance. So what ended up happening was I ended up going into the Metallica Museum. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God! <laughs> I'm in shock again. So now I'm in shock again because there's Lars Ulrich's drums. <gasps> I'm not seeing it through a right. window. I'm not seeing it on a screen. I'm literally next to his drums. So I go and I touch his drums. I just, oh my God, this is my greatest musical inspiration. I'm right next to his drums. I can't believe it. You know, so I'm just like, oh, wait. And people, uh, this one dude that also was there, he's like, oh, you play drums? That's dope. I was like, yeah, yeah I do. You know, oh my God. Like Lars. I just, <laughs> yeah. And then, I go and we, we go around and there's a master puppet display 
there's also a 72 seasons display they have their like platinum records up or whatever it's just kind of like stuff that's case and then i went and they had their chair the ride the lightning electric chair they had that and i sat in it right that chair is big it's so big and so i just transferred out of my wheelchair into the chair and people like i'm like no i'm I'm so used to this i'm fine (laughs) so i did that took picture you know it's like oh my god i'm gonna ride the lightning chair what is happening and then i ended up playing rob's bass and i was like oh my what is happening to this weekend I was literally in one of the lowest places in my life. Metallica saved my life. This isn't even really about me, like, touching the drums or whatever. Mm-hmm. None of these moments were planned. Right. They literally saved my life. I don't... I mean, I told Lars this, but, you know, it's kind of like, I am an insignificant person. I Lars meets thousands of people every day when he's in public. So I'm just one person. Right. You know, everyone's like, Lars is going to remember you. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm one person. I am but one person. He has meet and greets all the time. But he like, acknowledged you. Hold on. We're not getting there yet. <laughs> I'm just saying that. I, just saying. But, but who am I? I'm not special. I don't know. If Lars remembers me, that's great. But I don't, you know, I'm one person. He, I'm sure he meets lots of people who have stories that move him or... You know, I, I just, like, there was this one when, where were they? Chile? I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. But it was a video where they had the meet and greet, and it was, like, all Lars. There was this one moment where it was this young man, and he makes this huge card for Lars, and it says, thank you, Lars. And, like, you see the back of Lars' head, and it's just like, you know, I'm sure maybe when the show was over, and you see the picture of Lars. It says, thank you, Lars. But on the other side, it's like a giant postcard. So... He's just like from, I forget his name, and it says to Lars Ulrich, and then he talks about, you know, since the age of nine, you have inspired me, you're my greatest, and I'm just like, this is me. And then what happens? So Lars reads it, and he just hugs him. His hug was so comforting. And then what happens? The dude starts crying, and I'm like, that's me. That's me. To meet your greatest musical inspiration, and to be able to give them that. So, yeah, after we go in the museum, so Ice Nine Kills is on. And then I find out through somebody that uh, the official Metallica Instagram, there's a series of stories that happen. And people are like, did you see that Lars mentioned the St. Anger movie in the Instagram stories? And I'm like, what? Wait, what is, wait, wait a minute, hold on. And so everybody's like, did you see that? And I'm like, no, not, no, not yet. Like what's happening? I don't know what's happening right now. And then Metallica does their show. And that's when I'm just like, this is just, this is, my heart is so full right now. Everything that happened this week, I was literally at the lowest point in my life and all of these things. And it's connected to Metallica. I don't even know how to thank this band. It has nothing to do. I don't care that they're famous. I don't care if they were like a punk band in, in a basement. If they did the same thing for me, I would be saying this would be the same episode. I don't care who these people are, but these people have touched my life in some way. And I was at my lowest point and they saved my life. Right. So I, I just don't know how to thank them. I don't know how to thank Kristen. I don't know how to thank all of these people who 
are connected and had a hand in that. I'm just, <laughs> um, I'm just so grateful and so humbled. Again, I am not that important of a person at all. I am pretty insignificant in the whole scheme of things. And I just, I don't really know what to say. Like, I feel like more people are so much more deserving of this. Of this happening. There are people that are like intense fans that this could be happening to. And I just, I just feel like, I was just, I don't know why every time I'm at this place like this, I feel such a connection to this band that because they have literally saved my life. I was at a point where I was about to end my life. So, I don't know how to, how to, I don't know what to say. I don't, I mean, they'll, they'll never hear this episode. They'll probably never, never even see the St. Anger movie, but that's not the point of me making the movie. That's not the point of this episode. I just think that, I mean, again, I wasn't even going to talk about it, but everybody's like, like, hey, did you see it? And, I just, I, if, if anybody in that camp just, you know, I mean, the first part, they might be like, okay, whatever. But the second part, right. just, I just want everybody to know how much this band has saved my life and how much they mean to me. And it's not about, I don't care if they're famous. I just think the connection their music has had it saves so many people's lives and connect with them. I think that's what's, I think that's the point of Metallica. I think the point of that band, for me, I, I just hold them in a spiritual and philosophical way. And the fact that this person just decided to be like, hey, it was such a massive gift that like she could have, she could have offered that to anybody. <laughs> and if I didn't even see her message, none of this would have happened. It's just, I'm so grateful to the universe for Metallica being in my life in whatever capacity that is. And that's exactly what I said at the 40th. And I cried about it then too. <laughs> it's so weird. But I just, I. I <laughs> Well, I think it goes to show you that folks are always watching, listening. You may not know that they are, but there's someone always watching who can appreciate your appreciation for the band. I think that's that is clearly why this happened to you. I'm glad it happened to you, and I think. But why did it happen to you? Why did it happen to other people? Not everyone. Well, for me, I can say it's not. I don't have that same relationship as you would have with Metallica, but. For you, you have a specific relationship with them. And I think, you know, it's one of those situations where it's like it's a pairing of emotions. And large, Lars felt that, you know, and I think that that was just coming back. He's my greatest musical inspiration. I can't. I don't know how to thank these people. I don't know what to say, but they really saved my life. And, I'm just so grateful. I'm so humbled. I know, like, people think that's weird, but no, I just, I think, I think saying that in theory is one thing and then experiencing it is a whole other thing. And I just, 
I still haven't processed it yet, and it might be a while, but I think just, and I'm just against seeing Kirk and Rob's dynamic that was so special to me, mm-hmm. to have, you know, someone in your life like that, that's just, I, I just, I thought that was beautiful. Absolutely. And I just, this man saved my life. On, on several occasions, I I told Lars about when I was in the hospital and one was the only song. I didn't have access to music and one was the only song. That, that was in my head. That song helped me. That song helped me navigate all the pain I was experiencing in the hospital where I, I also wanted to die. And that was the first time I actually openly said that is always something that I thought, but I never, like, openly said that, that I wanted to die. And one was the song that helped me get through all of that. That's, I just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to thank any, anybody who's in my life in some way. I don't, I mean, you, like, just sharing I mean, one Metallica way, with one me. Way you- I, don't I would know. say one way you you you've given your gratitude is just by you making the film and you <laughs> going through the work that it took to make a six hour film to honor just what their music has meant for you. And that doesn't go unnoticed. I mean, it didn't go unnoticed. It's not going to go unnoticed, whether he watches it or not. The fact that he's aware that somebody made such an album in relation to what it was able to do for you. I mean, that that's enough, right? That's enough to make someone appreciative. And I think he felt that, which is why he acknowledged it. I really hope that he, that he knows how much I love that album. I know I said it, but how much this man means to me. Like, I mean, I don't, again, he might not remember this in two years. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm just a person, but, you know, even in the movie, I said, you know, I don't, I don't expect them to see this movie, but it's, the whole point is about connecting people who do love this movie. That's what it really is. Absolutely. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful. I, I, I'm really grateful. I just, God, I think this is like the third or fourth time I've cried on this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. No need to be. I mean, I just, it's, it's authentic. It's, it's a reflection of every, everything, you know? And you didn't expect it happening. No, I had no idea. So. I'm just going to just go to the show and see the concert. All right. And hopefully, you know, go see it and feel better. But I just, I was about to leave and I was like, no, I'm going to check, you know, and then I saw that. I just, so I think that, that she also has a hand in like saving my life, you know? I just, I can't, I can't thank any of these people enough. And you sort of, you sharing the metallic experience with me. Cause you didn't have to. You could have been like, it's just a bunch of noise, you know? No, I don't know. 
Because, I, I mean, half the stuff I play, you're like, no. So, I mean, well, that Metallica could, uh, sounds a lot different from... Um, <laughs> Except Lulu, you from, don't uh, like that. But, I love Lulu, you don't, I know. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'm so humbled. I, I, I will forever be so grateful and humbled for this experience. And I don't think this experience will ever happen again. So I'm just, I do not take anything that happened this weekend for granted. I right. really don't. I'm just, I'm so grateful for everyone. And ended up meeting this guy, Eric at the show he was so much fun it was i just i'm so appreciative that everyone this is just oh man um the one thing i thought was funny he called me a, yo a young woman right. <laughs> so we had a young because what did i what did i say oh they're gonna be like oh this weird girl with one leg who loves saint Agar. but he actually said there's a young woman that, you know, did, and so Rob was there with him. He's like, did you meet the young woman? Mm -hmm. And I was like, Come <laughs> young woman, I'm almost 50, Lars. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Um, but I guess I look younger than I am. Yeah. People tell me I look 25. I don't look 25. You don't look closer to 50. Probably. Good. So you're saying I don't look 25. Thank you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't, ages, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be 50. Right. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm you very happy. That. I'm having a party when I turn 50. So that all this, like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody about it. Look, I don't care. I'm actually seeing Metallica in uh, St. Louis on my 47th birthday. That's true. Yeah. So I actually did tell Kirk that. He's like, oh. yeah, you know, <laughs> cool. Yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I don't know how to thank any of these people. I just, I don't know how to repay anyone. I just, let me know everybody. But I just, oh man, how do, how do we end this episode? <laughs> thank God for Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Because Metallica is a savior for a lot of folks, and I think, that resonates, you know. I don't think what you're sharing. I know that's. I know for those who are listening, you all can resonate with those tears because you all have experienced the same thing with other musicians. I mean, Metallica happens to be that band for you, but I think music and musicians that really care for those that engage with their music can appreciate, you know, folks that really take the time to, you know, you sharing that with Lars. I'm sure impacted him as much as. It impacts you to listen to their music. It impacted him to know that it's being received and that it's changing lives. So it's a reciprocal relationship. It's not like a one-line situation. There's an exchange going on, and that receiving relationship is worthy of acknowledgement. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. a that's a beautiful thing, and that's nothing to be ashamed of because that's love. I mean, ultimately, it's love, right? When someone is able to sort of like speak and feel and deal all of the things that you are dealing with and it's just like that connection it's is worthy and i think that's that's gracious mm. so it's love so it's wonderful <laughs> oh man what is this michael bolton song love is a wonderful thing <laughs> 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 
<laughs> no. Love is wonderful thing. I'm trying to do Michael Bolton. I can't can't do that. Um, but yeah, thank thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening and putting up with my crying. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, thank you, Metallica, once again. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, the other Rob. <laughs> uh, thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Metal Up Your Podcast crew. And uh, uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope both the first and second half of the, this episode, you got something positive out of it. We would love to hear from you from any of those things. And you know, what bands have impacted your life in a positive way? Do you go to a concert and you have a spiritual experience, a positive experience? We would love to hear that. So we'll also have our email in the description. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. All love. <laughs>